I want to welcome you to the Retro Rogues Live. Please pay attention to our warning graphic. It states that the Retro Rogues Live show is intended for an adult audience and not intended for children under the age of 13. Parental discretion is advised. That'd probably be good for the top of the show because I got some things I want to say. But before we get into that, let me go ahead and tell you what we're going to be doing on tonight's show. We're going to be talking about some Venom trading cards in the collector's corner. We're going to be talking about the return of Toys R Us. And we're also going to be discussing the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer and so much more. All that and hopefully some more on tonight's episode. Um, I want to welcome to the show. My name is Dave Beatty. I'm one of your hosts. For nearly the last 30 years, I've been a professional illustrator and graphic designer. Worked on a lot of fun things that some people have heard of, such as Batman Incorporated, Justice League of America, and Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. I want to welcome back to my great co-host. This is the great Eric Alexander. Eric, please tell the folks, hope you're watching and listening at home, some of the fun things you have worked on as a creative professional. Yes, hello everyone. I'm Eric Alexander, also known as Bass God 14. That's Bass God 14, not Bass God. That's Bass God, like a bass guitar. And I am the Chief Financial Officer of Bad Bob Productions, which is a film production company located in Arizona. Currently, I'm the executive producer on a film called Staycation, which has been filming all over the world via Zoom and primarily on location in California. All right, so to, to start tonight's show, I got something I want to say. So... And this, there's going to be some profanity here, okay? <laughs> but I, I feel like it. I feel like it needs to be said, okay? I understand. Uh, yes, please pay attention <laughs> to the warning graphic. So I'm I, might, I might flash that a couple times, Dave. We'll see. We'll see I'm, how this I'm, goes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be cursing. <laughs> All right. So here's the deal. I listen and watch different people on YouTube. I'm not going to call them out by name because there's no reason to do that. Um, not because I don't want to give them any publicity. I mean, you know, being on our show, who knows if that even is counts as that. But the point I, I want to say is this. There's a lot of people talking shit about comic book creators lately and specifically comic creators who've worked for Marvel and DC because of the SJW thing and the comics gate thing and whatever else. And I keep seeing people come out and without knowing politically where anyone stands, they just start talking shit about comic book creators and how they're this and they're that and whatever else. Okay. Well, I, I understand the anger, um, but it, it's getting to the point of starting to personally piss me off and I'm a pretty easygoing guy, but I'm getting pretty sick of it. Because no one, it, it, it's weird because they just lump all the people who've worked Marvel and DC in with this particular elite group of Hollywood writers and whatever else. And we're just all the same. We're all cut from the same cloth. And, you know, even though I haven't come out and, and said, oh, I'm for this group or oh, I'm for that group, because in all honesty, I don't feel like I should have to. If you watch the show enough, you know where I stand. You know who I am. Everyone knows who I am. But it really pisses me off when I feel like I'm getting lumped in with this group of, of people and they just start, start talking shit. And it's like, I understand because I worked on Batman. It doesn't necessarily mean my opinions are more valid than anyone else's, okay? Let me start off by saying that, okay? But my point is still valid because I have a point of view and I have an opinion. You don't have to agree with it. You're happy to disagree with it. We like to have a discussion and a and a talk on this show 
where you can come from different points of view. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with Eric. Eric and I often don't agree on things. But the whole and point the, is the rogues have, gallery often doesn't agree with us on things or they take yeah. my position or they take your position. That happens all the time on this show. Right. And, I, and that's what I feel like should be going on. I feel like we should be having a conversation and finding a way to get along because I, it just it's driving me nuts. Just I, I feel like I keep getting lumped in with this group of people, even though I know no one's calling me out. But it really just pisses me off because it's like, do I have to come out and make a like a super hard stand on something? Like, you know, I, I think most people know what I stand for, and and I will make a stand on things. But I just, I don't know. It's just really pissing me off. And and I wasn't gonna. And you tell I don't have these thoughts really prepared. But it just, it, there's a lot, a lot of people on YouTube who I watch their stream or I follow their show or whatever and I watch a new episode and it starts off by talking about how everybody who worked in the comp industry is a piece of shit and that's not true that's not true just because someone has a different point of view doesn't mean they're worthless um, and I feel like that it's just a lot of heavy-handed criticism being thrown around and it's just starting to piss me off but maybe that's just me what do you think Eric well I, I think it's 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 a um it's it's a, a symptom of a larger disease that is affecting our entire culture. And it's not even unique to the United States or North America. It's something that I feel like is happening all over the world. Um, I almost feel like the term binary has been co-opted because I know binary is, is basically in the mainstream. When you say that, it has some sort of implication about sexuality, which, by the way, just shows that it is part of that that larger problem that goes into everything. Um, because when you talk about that stuff, in my mind, binary thinking is you're basically taking one side or the other, and you're not willing to accept the fact that there's a lot of middle ground and there is gray areas and all this other stuff. They want you to be one way or the other. You can see that with, you know, whether we're talking about the pandemic, whether we're talking about sexuality, whether we're talking about anything at this point, you have to be on one extreme side or the other. You can't have any kind of a nuanced um, approach to anything. You can't say, well, you know, I like some of the stuff these people are saying, but I also like some of the stuff these people are saying. Or you can't, or the one that I really like is you both are wrong. You both are effing wrong. You both are completely and totally wrong. So in other words, my position's not not there at all. It's, it, it's not represented at all in either either camp. Uh, because this idea that one camp or the other knows everything about everything is ridiculous. So I, I see it as part of a, a, it goes beyond comics. It goes beyond comics gate. It goes beyond the SJW thing. It goes beyond everything. It's, it, it's a cultural thing that's going on. It's, it's manifesting itself in absolutely everything. They want to pigeonhole you and push you into some weird little category. And then what happens is, this is what happens to me anyway, Dave. I don't know if it happens to you. You start to be in a camp with people you really don't want to be in a camp with. You know, like you get, it's that last show, people were talking about like guilt by association. It's like, so you're kind of stuck with these people you really don't want to be stuck with, but be, because you're being forced into a corner, that's what happens. And, and, and that's why I always say there is another way. There's a third way. There's a fourth way. There's a fifth way. You know, it, it, there there is more than just 
this side and that side. That's the way that I see it, Dave. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. I feel like that there should be, uh, you know, it's weird because I keep thinking about how incredibly polarized our society has become. I was leaving my day job, um, which my day job's coming to an end tomorrow. Yay me. Uh, but I was leaving my day job. <laughs> Definitely yay you. Yay me. I was leaving my day job a couple days ago. There was a car in front of me, and it had an American flag sticker on it. It was in the back uh, window, you know, kind of like above where the that back brake light goes. That's where everyone was putting their American flag stickers, I remember, after 9-11. And I know it's not a political show, but you guys are going to have to excuse me. Um, and it was worn, and it was starting to peel, and it was almost gone, but you could still tell it was there. And I was thinking about how completely divided we've become as a country over the last little while and how at one point we were all pretty united. And, and then I look at everything that's going on in the world today and I, it, it makes me sad that, you know, it seems like even in the comic community, in all these different communities, because one of the things that's great about going to a comic book convention was the fact that you were among peers, you know, um, you, you know, I, have watched Doctor Who, but I'm not a diehard Doctor Who fan. But I can respect your love of Doctor Who if you like Doctor Who. I know what you're talking about. There's a commonality there, right? And that was the thing that was nice. You know, um, okay, I'm more a DC fan. You're more a Marvel fan. You know, well, who who would win in a fight between Batman and Iron Man? Let's have a fun conversation about it. Let's have a right. debate, you know? But at the end of the day... I, I, know miss, I miss those kind of debates. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. And... And but now, but end, now it's you know now now what's going to happen is like well what version of Iron Man are you talking about or what version of Superman are you talking about because you know I have my version and then you have your version and it generally comes down to the more traditional version versus the new version and it just gets even that starts to get unraveled and crazy so yeah I just I I feel like that that we are as a society and and even within some of the communities we are rushing to push labels upon people and say, oh, you're this or, oh, you're that. And in this idea, because, um, you know, for example, I I listened to um, a podcast today. Ethan Van Skyver was being interviewed and it was some kind of discourse, something. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but I, it's the second time I've heard Ethan talk about how they basically tried to blacklist him. In, in the industry and the whisper network and all this stuff that happened. And I just keep thinking like, you know, almost all of this, like this stuff is just so wrong. It's like, I don't know. It just makes me mad. The, the more I hear about all this stuff and the more people are being pushed into groups and you're supposed to take on this label to take on that label or whatever, you know, I, I just, I, I feel like there should be more nuance and I feel like we should be a community, you know? I have uh, friends who are gay. I have friends who are trans. You know, I have friends who are straight. You know, I'm straight, you know? It doesn't mean that we don't deserve respect or we, you know, shouldn't be talked to as equals. But the thing that was nice is that we were all part of the comic community. That was the commonality that brought us together. And we could see that we were more alike than dislike. You know, are, are dissimilar, I guess. Well, the, the, the other it. side of that, Dave, is, you know, you and I might both like Superman, but then again, we both might be of a different political parties. 
and, and there was a time when that would be okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that, that there was a time nobody cared, you know, because right. it was like, we're talking about Superman here. So uh, you don't care what my political affiliation is. And, and that's part of the problem. But I do want to take a little bit back because it's, it's relevant to, to specifically to our show and pop culture. One of the reasons that I've never accepted a, a hashtag, the only hashtag I use is Rise Together, which is from the Fandom Collective. And when, the, when I first reached out to them, I asked them, are you guys uh, Fandom Menace? And they said, well, a lot of our people are, probably most of them, but no, we accept everybody. And when they said that, I said, okay, cool. I'm going to I'm going to affiliate with you, and all they do is retweet you, and they do it consistently, and I, I appreciate uh, their efforts in promoting the show because they consistently uh, retweet our stuff all the time, and they do that for everybody that's part of that that little group, and so the only hashtag I use is Rise Together with a Z because that's what they use, but I never wanted to use uh, you know uh, Fandom Menace. I've never wanted to use Comicsgate. Because I feel like, first of all, you're going to alienate like half your audience. And that's almost like against what I feel is the core principle of what those two associations are supposed to be saying we're not supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be alienating half our audience. What we're supposed to be doing is good storytelling, good commentating, good content. And it's content is king. That's the most important thing, right? That's the way that I see it. And so I don't want to alienate half the audience. But the other thing is there is that guilt by association because once you start using the hashtags, now you become responsible to some extent for what some, some other person is saying that's quote unquote part of that group, right? And so right. that becomes problematic. That's why for, for me, I tend to stay away from that stuff. Even though I, I'll, I'll admit it on the air, most of the people that I listen to are fandom menace. Most of the people that I've been looking at on the comic side are comics gate. I, I'm pretty much out of the mainstream at this point because I'm an indie guy. And I, I'm, I'm just, in fact, that's one of my biggest criticisms of some of the fandom menace people is they keep constantly like hashing it out with Star Wars and Star Trek and thinking they're going to change the studios. And it's not going to happen, folks. It's, it, it's silly in my mind. It's just not going to happen. So I'm like, support indie do indie stuff. So then I look at who's doing some indie stuff that's actually successful. And then I see a guy like Ethan. I see somebody like Mandy, Mandy Summers. They're doing successful stuff and they're independent. Well, they happen to be comics gate. So I, I tend to look at their stuff. You know, that's just the way it is. But it, I don't want to pigeonhole myself into one of those hashtags. Yeah. And, and I guess that's kind of the thing. It's like I it feels like at times because we're kind of sitting on, you know, in the middle, you know, I, I feel like that our show is sometimes being passed over. So I understand that. But the thing that's really starting to just really chat my ass lately is just the all out assault, because sometimes it makes me feel bad. You know, well, I worked there. I, I mean, I, you know, I was a part of, you know, the, you know, I worked on Batman. I worked on this. I worked on whatever. And, you know, we first started our show, I thought those things would help establish my geek credentials in order for us to talk intelligently about the things that we talk about, whether we're right. talking about comic book inspired movies, whether we're talking about comic books directly, trading cards, action figures. The whole reason we start the show off with and I say, blah, blah, blah. And I mentioned Batman Incorporated, whatever. It's not, ooh, look at what I've done. 
that's not it or oh my opinion should count more than yours you know screw that that's not what that's supposed to mean all it's for is so you understand i have worked in the industry and that's to help cement you know that you know um i am a geek like you <laughs> you know and 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 i've i've uh, played with the toys right and helped create the stories you know and and so let's have it. Let's have a discussion. It doesn't mean I'm better. It doesn't mean my opinion is more valid or anything like that at all. That's not the point of that. The, the whole point is just. I've been in the industry, you know. I've been a fan my whole life, and I have been a fan my whole life. Um, and I just want to talk about these things. And I feel like that when I hear people just attacking ex-comic book professionals for whatever reason, it just drives me nuts. It's and, and I, I just hear everyone just doing this and they just lump everybody in as if they're in the same group. And that's just not true. Not everyone is in the same group. Just because again, we don't use your hashtag doesn't mean anything. Again, this is what actual binary thinking is, because binary just means zeros and ones. It means on and off. That's what binary actually means. Uh, you may have thought it meant something else at this point, folks. That's what binary actually means. And that's what our society actually has become. It doesn't have necessarily to do with sexuality. I don't know why they zero in on sexuality and somehow it's been co-opted to mean that. It doesn't. Whether you're talking about the two parties, whether you're talking about, you know, the the your 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 dress. I mean, it, it seems like everything these days. Fandom, it, it, they want to put you in one of two categories neatly and then one side can always blame the other and basically nothing gets done and nothing ever changes. Right. That's also part of it. You know, it's a, all you do is you bitch and you complain and you never do anything. Um, I, we do have a couple of comments from the, from the uh, rogues gallery. So I do, I do want to oh, yeah. mention them. Hollywood Jackson has been on fire. He said, uh, hi guys, sick him, Dave, sick him, Dave, Hollywood <laughs> Jackson. We appreciate you being here. Uh, Jane's also in the house and she says, Hey guys, it's good to hi, see Mom. you, Jane. We appreciate you. But uh, Hollywood had a couple neat comments here where he said, you know, as we were talking, he says, hey, guilty until proven innocent. Welcome to the new USA. And I will take it a step forward. I will take it a step further, Hollywood, because I think it goes beyond the USA. I think you're seeing this polarization all over the world, um, you know, when, when it comes to globalism versus nationalism. Right. They just want to throw you in one camp or the other. That's it, it's it's gone international. Uh, this 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 this. This, this binary thinking. That's what the way I'm going to put it. That's the way I'm going to say it. And of course, Hollywood Jackson says, this sounds like a job for the Picardinator. <laughs> it, it probably is a job for the Picardinator. Because, you know, I, I feel like I've done a horrible job of trying to express what I'm trying to say. But I, I didn't really have any prepared comments before you started the show tonight. And it's just absolutely just really starting to piss me off. And I... Felt like I wanted to say something about it because, um, you know, we've uh, talked about Cyber Frog here on the show. Uh, we featured Ethan's toys for like a couple different episodes. Um, I have been, you know, noticing a lot of what, you know, the Comicscape people are doing and they're creating what looks like good projects, you know, and, and I find all that stuff interesting. And, you know, I, but at the same point too, it, it's, I don't know. It's just weird. I just find it weird that everyone's got to be labeled. You know, why can't you just like something because you like it? Exactly. You know, do we do we have to have hashtag what the hell ever? Like I I don't know. I and um, it's weird too. If if you're not in this group, well, you're a pos. 
You know, like, and I just don't like that. It's like we could have different opinions. You yeah, know? It, it, I'll give you an example of this because you were talking about your experience at the convention you went to in Prescott. You know, I recently was at the event formerly known as Star Trek Vegas, right? Right. And I, anybody who's watched the show, in fact, that's the, we just had the joke here, right? Sounds like a job for the Picardinator. Hollywood is is a, a longtime supporter of the show. He knows how we feel about Picard. He knows we hated it. We reviewed every single episode, and it was it was it was terrible. Like he says, hashtag more Picard. Right? That's an inside joke on the show because he knows Dave and I both really hated the show. I I was in line to get like a sandwich or something like that at uh, it's Jimmy's now. They don't have corks anymore because they lost the license. That's why it's the event formerly known as Star Trek Vegas. They lost the license, and I remember I started talking to somebody, and. He was actually uh, quite a big fan of Picard. So I was sitting there. I was like, what is the point of me raining on this guy's parade and telling him how much I hated Picard? Right. So I, I, I basically told them I, I'm not a big fan. But you know what? I thought Jonathan Frakes did a good job because I did mention that even in my review that I thought Jonathan Frakes and the captain chair looked good. Yeah. I thought. I thought he looked, we said that in the review. I yeah, thought he, he exactly. I thought he just, what, you know, he really went into the part really well. Right. Yeah. And so I said that I said, oh, you know what? I'm just going to find something I like about it and say something nice to this guy because, you know, why am I going to take him? I did tell him that I'm not a big fan of the show, but then I told him something nice. Yeah. And that's, I think how I was raised to be, you know what I mean? That's, that's not because of, anything else. It's just because that's the way I was raised. It's like good manners, you know, it's right. good manners. And so rather than take this guy who's at a Star Trek convention, maybe because Picard is his favorite thing in the world. Right. And try to get into an argument with them and try to make him feel like a piece of garbage. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I said my little piece and then I tried to say something nice, something complimentary. You know what I mean? Because, Hey, at the end of the day, we're both Trekkies. We're both Trekkies, yeah, right? Exactly. That's yeah. the idea. Well, unless you're a Trek or, which I, I can't well, stand that stupid debate. But, you know, <laughs> I'd rather debate about that. You know what I mean? Than, right. than all this other stuff, all this other stupid stuff. I'd rather debate about that. Uh, Asia's in the house. Uh, good to see you again, Asia. And she says, You have geek street cred with me, darling. It's like trying to lump passionate people in buckets. I have such a broad spectrum in fandoms that even I can get attacked for not showing solidarity for one specific thing. And I know that's true of Asia. I, I know that's true of her because I've seen her at Phoenix, you know, Fan Fest and Phoenix Comic Con and things like that. And I know she's passionate about a lot of different things. Uh, by the way, she was also a supporter on Occupants and the Occupants uh, uh, official comic book tie-in. So I, I know that that she's passionate about her fandom and, and she has a lot of different kind of fandom that she's into. So I'm sure she can relate. And then uh, regarding um, the, the comment that I said about Picard and Riker, she said, because Riker finally sat in a chair properly, laugh out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was already in the chair, right? You know, there's the famous yeah. way that, that Riker goes yeah. into the chair. Yeah, the Riker in that maneuver. case, we didn't get to see how he actually got into the captain's chair. He was already right. in it by the time we saw him. <laughs> So, and, and Hey, we got another, another opinion here, right? Like Hollywood Jackson says, the only real captain is Kirk. That's the kind of debate I want to have with people, right? 
Yeah. You know, is he the only captain? Are the, do the, all the other ones suck? That's the kind of stuff we should be talking about as fans, right? That's the type yeah. of stuff we should be talking about. And we can get into big heated arguments about that. Right. Well, now that I've blown 25 minutes at the top of the show ranting and raving uh, because I was angry without, I think, I guess I kind of stated my point. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get into our main topic, Eric. That sounds good to me. This is our collector's corner edition. So yep. what have you got for us, Dave, as far as, as your picks today? All right. So we're going to start off with um, 1990 Impel Marvel Universe. This is series one. Um, this is card number 73. This is Venom. I am calling it a key appearance um, because the, the rookie card might actually be a comic images card before. That's nice for you to say, Asia. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, and um, see, oh, she's got she's that one, she off. says. Okay, she's, cool. <laughs> oh, she's got that one. So right, right back on track. She says, she yeah, has, yeah. Asia has That's that. Good. One. That's good. That's good. We're gonna we're gonna get into that here. All right. So the collector's corner. Typically, what I like to do is I like to find things that are twenty dollars or less, twenty dollars or less. So it's kind of a, an easy entry point. Um, but there's something particular about this card. Now, the 1990 Marvel Impel cards are the cards that have been skyrocketing in value. Uh, these are the cards that people were trying to flood into PSA to get graded. Um, and PSA now, shut down their grading as a right. result. Exactly. <laughs> they actually shut down their grading. So there is a card that predates this one. It's a uh, comic images card. Um, and that's why I'm calling this a key appearance, not a rookie card. But this is still a very, very important card for Venom. Like I, I feel like this might be the most important card for Venom, to be honest. Um, I wanted to bring this up because, uh, of course, the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer came out been talking about Spider-Man, thinking about a lot about Spider-Man. The Midnight Suns trailer actually came out for the Marvel video game, which features the more darker, not darker, I don't know what the right term is, the kind of more Midnight Suns uh, side of the Marvel, the, the more, you it's know, more Ghost occult, Rider. right? Yeah, more occult. of the occults, the occult yeah, of, uh, there you uh, go. Marvel. Yeah, the more occultic heroes of the Marvel Universe, Doctor Strange, Wolverine. Wolverine isn't occultic, but he's, he's you know... I, Anyhow, Ghost Rider, whatever. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. A little darker, right? A little darker. Yeah, a little darker. Later, I, I didn't know darker. if it was... So here I am. I'm already censoring myself because I'm concerned. All right, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The darker side of the Marvel Universe, and I don't mean that the way people are going to take it. I'm just talking about the occultic and the more violent heroes. We're talking people like, um, like again, Wolverine, Doctor Strange, uh, Blade. Um, you know, the more sorcery, the more violence, the more guns. Uh, Ghost Rider. Um, so I've been thinking about those kind of anti-heroes, right, type of characters. And so I thought, here we go, here we go. Let's talk about Venom tonight. We got Spider-Man. We got this Midnight Suns trailer. Let's talk about Venom. Okay. The key appearance. Um, this is a really cool card. I really like this card. And it's interesting when you take the three cards for tonight, and if you look at them in the right way, it's almost like a sequence. He's on the side of the building. He jumps up, and then he's going to attack you. Anyhow, all right. <laughs> it, it, it is a very, uh, it's a really nice pose. I really like it. It is cool. I like it. And, and, and the pose of, of the character. It, it definitely evokes, I think, what Venom's all about, you know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So there are 258 um, cards that have been graded that's on the PSA pop report. This is one of the more highly graded cards um, for the 1990 Marvel Impel that I could tell. 
All right. So uh, let's start off with, for those of you in the, in the rogues uh, gallery who want to participate, what do we think this card goes for raw? Well, Asia says he wants to eat your brains. So <laughs> do, you, do, you do we have to make that weird sound that the toy made afterwards? <laughs> you know, I want to eat your brains. <laughs> that weird sound or whatever the heck it was. Like I don't know like what the hell that sound, sound was. Like a vacuum sound? I, I never guess. had the toy. So. I had that toy for like a long time because people kept telling me, it's like, oh, it's going to be worth money. And I held on to it for a long time and I dumped it at a yard sale. Um, oh. All right. So now, now we're, uh, we're talking ungraded, right? Uh, yes, ungraded. ungraded. Yes, ungraded. That's what I mean by raw. Not graded. Well, Hollywood got the, the guests in first. He's, got, he's sitting at $18. We have to remember these are the very sort of hype-driven, coveted cards of the moment. I mean, this is this is kind of what started us on the path of doing Collector's Corner was we got such a good response to our, our the, when we first started talking about the Marvel Impel cards because it, it has become somewhat of a phenomenon among collectors. And so I'm going to guess high or even ungraded. I'm going to go... $50. I'm going to go $50. $50. Okay. All right. Um, uh, if anyone else has any guesses, you might want to get them in. Um, so this card, I mostly oh. looked on eBay. And oh. then she said, AJ said, it said, die, die Spider-Man. Spider I want to eat your brain. I owned it <laughs> as far as the toy. <laughs> I like that. Die Spider-Man. I want to eat your brain. That's cool. She yeah. says card price 85. 85 okay. and then jane yeah. says 25 jen says 25 so there okay. we go we're all, all we're right, actually we all go. over the place here we're all, all we're all locked place. in okay raw on ebay right now buy it now not auction eight dollars and up wow wow now here's the here's the real trippy thing i didn't even bother to write down the psa graded prices because they're all over the map Oh. There's some. There's some for a hundred dollars. There's some for a little less than a hundred dollars. There's some listed as high as fifteen hundred dollars. Fifteen hundred. Then you have ones listed at a hundred. Well, you have to remember the grading eight, nine, ten. Okay. But it's. But what I'm saying is, is even among the nines, the pricing's all over the place. So, I didn't really write down a graded price uh, because I felt like that it, it was too. It didn't seem very concrete. Yeah. And, and they were mostly list prices. And I, I didn't find, and I'm sure there's some of these that have sold, but I couldn't find any easy access information. Um, I was doing my research really quick tonight. I've been like crazy busy. Um, but the raw, and this is the important thing, raw, if you like Venom, I really think this is a very important card to get in your collection. There were some decent looking copies of this card on eBay. And again, if you buy them in groupings, it can be even less. But eight dollars and up, I think it's totally worth that. Wow! Um, and like I said, if you if you were to pick one of these up in a, a grouping of cards, get it graded. I mean, you might be able to flip it for a couple hundred bucks. So, uh, Asia says uh, fifteen hundred dollars. Todd McFarlane better have spit on the signature. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, I think you, you got to have his DNA too at that point. You know what I mean? So. That that uh, that does seem like a lot. One thing though that I forgot when I was doing my little evaluation, um, you know, is one thing that we always mention about the Impel cards is the the 
the huge the huge difference in quality of the Impel cards. The notoriously, uh, the Impel cards, even if you have one that's like you know sealed in the package, you open it up, and it is not a perfect ten card. Even though the uh, the edges might be like razor blades, uh, a lot of these cards were cut wrong. That's a big criticism of the of the Marvel Impel cards. So. So I, I think when it comes down to it, probably any Marvel Impel card, raw, ungraded, you can probably get for pretty cheap because the, the fact of the matter is it may be a, a, a bad card, a very low-graded card, even if it is crisp and new because a lot of these cards simply just were not cut right. Dave? I was going to say, yeah, that's true. Um, and I, I don't think... Turn on my cam on tonight, but um, you know my like the example of this card here that's pictured. I just grabbed this picture actually off the internet. This is not actually one of my cards. I actually have three copies of this card I had set aside to get graded, and they're all pretty much dead center, um, no obvious surface defects, um, and really nice crisp corners. Um, so my card's actually a little bit nicer actually than this one, the three cards I have to get graded. But again, I got nowhere to send them to if I'm if I want to, you know, get the value that a PSA card can get. Although I am considering just sending them to SGC just to get them graded. Yeah, I was going to say, have you thought about yeah. uh, other other venues besides PSA? I've seen a lot of the SGC cards showing up, like a Mercari and and on eBay and stuff, and I I kind of like the look of that. So I've been seriously considering. Uh, trying to get them submitted to SGC. So I might be making some decisions about to what to do with these cards, you know, probably in the next month or so. Now that I have time, I can I can get back on focusing and thinking about it. But I do think this is a really good card. Um, if you want to get into the Empal Marvel cards, I really do think this is a good card. And at $8 and up, you know, again, you, you got to you got to try and make sure it's a good looking card. But if you could get uh, a nice card, I think, especially if you're a Venom fan, this is a really good card to have. This is a key card to have. And of course, we always talk about that Marvel bump. So there's always yeah. that possibility that when Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, comes out, um, that's going to even go higher, right? So there's always that Marvel bump possibility. Yeah, the really super crazy Marvel bump would be, though, if he's in the end, the, uh, the end credits scene for Spider-Man No Way Home. That Then you'd I see a crazy bump. I definitely want to bring some of that stuff up when we talk about the trailer a little bit later. Okay. There, there's All some right. definite speculation. There's there's ramp speculation on the internet, and I want us to do our speculation. And, of course, I want the rogues gallery, because I'm yes. sure most of you have seen that trailer. Let's do your speculation when we come up to that. And those of you in the rogues gallery, chime off. I mean, if you're a Marvel fan, if you're a Venom fan, tell us. You know, Do you think this card is is worth owning if, if you're a Venom fan? I know Asia says she already has a copy of this, so she's one stop step ahead of a lot of folks. All right, um, let's go ahead and go to the next one. This is another, uh, I labeled it key appearance. Key appearance meaning an important appearance of the character. Um, this is from 1991. This is, again, also Impel. This is Marvel Universe. This is Series 2. This is Venom, uh, card number 58. Um, here's what's interesting about this one. Um, again, there are two comic images cards ahead of the last card in this card, but this is still, in my mind, just a better-to-own card, okay? Even though it may not be a rookie card. Um, there are 49, only 49 of these cards um, on the population report for PSA. Now, the reason wow. there's probably only 49, though, 
uh, in perfect transparency. It's probably because of the fact a lot of people don't think this card is worth getting graded. Right. Um, that's kind of the deal with a lot of these cards. Is this card worth getting graded? That's a question a lot of people are asking themselves when you start looking at the grading fees and everything. Um, so here we go, everybody. I think this is a good card. Uh, I feel like the other card before the 1990 Impel Marvel, that's the one definitely to own. But I still think this is a very worthwhile card to own. Again, raw, ungraded. What do we think this one goes for, everybody? If you're on eBay, Mercari, what do you think you're going to expend on this? Ungraded. Well, I, I'm going to go definitely low, especially after the last one, because I always hear that the 1990 Impel cars are the ones that are so sought after. And I will say, I like the pose of the other card better than this one. This one, I don't know. I mean, he almost looks a, a little bit goofy to me, although he, I, he does look big. He does look bulky. Uh, he does look a little bit goofy to me. Jane already came in with five bucks. I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to go 10. I'm going to go 10. Uh, Hollywood's going six. So everybody's going low now, it looks like. So we got five, six, 10 right now. Good, good. Yeah, you, you definitely, <laughs> yeah, you're all heading in the right direction. All right. So here we go, everybody. This card raw, uh, Hollywood Jackson wins $6 and up. There you go. Six dollars and up. Um, again, I do think this is a good card to own. If you're a Venom collector, I think you should actually own both of these cards. Um, but uh, again, this one I could. While there are graded cards uh, if, of this particular one that have been graded, I didn't see any current active auctions or anything for this particular card. No. Um, so it's um, again. So, well, I take that back. I did. No, it's the last card. I didn't find any. I saw a few, but it was the same thing. It's all over the place. I don't feel like there's actually a set value really for this one. I feel like it's kind of fluctuating. <laughs> so uh, there you go. I like, I like Hollywood Jackson's one's... look. There you go. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do it for you, Hollywood. <laughs> all right. There you go. I would say what that is, but I don't know how to say it. All right. Um, so let's go ahead it's and like go to radical, our Radical, man. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and go to the last card. Now, I labeled this one also a key appearance. This card is actually my pick for this evening, even though I labeled it key appearance. This is actually my pick for this evening. This is from 1990. Oh, and it's actually from 92. I've got the wrong date on there. It's oh, so it's 92, 92, not 91. So we got a little yeah. misprint. Okay. So for people, actually, all that. This is 1992 Impel, because we just did 1991, right? So, yeah, actually, all the information at the top is wrong. My apologies. That's a giant big O typo up there. So, it's actually 1992 Impel Marvel Universe. This is Series Three. This is the Venom card. This is card actually 108. So, my apologies, everyone. I thought I changed that. Um, I did this last night. I was really tired. Um, but this is actually card 108, everyone. Um, so again, we want to now. There's 19 of this particular card on the PSA population report. 19. So again, people don't really consider this card necessarily worth grading. This is by the great Eric Larson. I think this is a great looking card. And again, those of you watching, my information at the top is incorrect. This is 1992 Marvel, uh, 1992 Impel Marvel Universe Series Three, Venom Number 108. Um, not what's on your screen. So what do we think about this one? This is my uh, my pick for this evening. What do we think this card goes for raw? Now, first of all, I've got to say, you always do these really amazing picks for these sort of 
later, I guess, appearances, these later cards, because you can definitely see that the artwork really does step up in these later cards. I, I've, I've seen it consistently in your picks, Dave. Uh, this artwork is, is much more dynamic than the other two. You know, it's, it's very unique. It's, it's definitely, you think, Venom. I mean, this is, this is Venom. You know what I mean? This is not like the, right. like the other one. I thought he almost felt like he was skipping along or something like that. I, I, I didn't particularly like the image that much. But this one's really a dynamic image. But consistently, we see that doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't That's matter right. what the image is. If, if it's a, like, right. in my mind, a better quality card with a better artist and better art, that doesn't seem to ever have any bearing on the value of the card. That said, we do have some estimations already. Hollywood got his and actually very early. He said 11 bucks. And you got right. that in really early when you were still talking. You said that. And then Jane says seven. So yeah. you got seven, eleven. Right. Oh, seven, eleven. I was just at seven, eleven. I just got a sl uh, slushy there yesterday. Very serendipitous, huh? So anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go low. I'm going to go low. I'm going to go. I'm going to go really low. I'm not going to do the prices right. I wish David Motz was here. I'm not going to do prices right. I'm not going to go one dollar and say you're all over. I'm going to go three dollars. $3 ungraded. And then it looks like Asia, I think she got one into it says, uh, I was just looking through my pile, laugh out loud, which is awesome. So she's actually looking through her, her, her cards and trying to see what she has. That's awesome. That's actually, I think our goal, right? That's kind of what we want people to do yeah. from the collector's corner is when we talk about something, we want people to actually be going through their stuff and saying, do I have that? Do I have that? She said she found all of her cards and her guess is $9, $9. So she just right. so Asia just uh, reconnected with her Marvel cards. So that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Okay, so for this one, everybody, uh, five dollars and up. Five dollars and up. Five dollars and up. Again, I feel like this is definitely a worthwhile card. Um, I really, really uh, like this particular one. I've always liked this card. I actually quite like the Marvel uh, Impel Marvel Universe Series Three cards a lot. I have a full set of those actually. Um, and I actually have a bunch of those actually set aside to get graded, including this card. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I it's interesting to me. Um, yeah, it seems like the cards I like the most visually are, are the ones that are typically worth the least. It's just kind of weird. Um, well, you, you can argue that about uh, even the comic books in general a lot of times when right. it comes down to... I mean, let's face it, a lot of the early comics, especially uh, the artwork was was very simplistic. I mean, it was early in the industry and, you know, it, it was it was a brand new thing. And a lot of times you look at some of those golden age comics and the artwork is not stunning by any means. Right. And then you look right. at some of the more modern stuff and it really is. I mean, it, it really, you know, you talk about someone like Alex Ross or something like that. That stuff is gorgeous. That stuff that should be hanging in the Louvre, you know. Um, and, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's, it's anywhere near valued the same, right? There's nothing that yeah. Alex Ross has done that I think even can challenge like a, you know, a, a first appearance of Superman or Batman or any golden age for that, you know, any big golden age comic. Right. So apples and oranges, right. Is what I'm trying to say. Apples and oranges. Art is subjective and collectibles are definitely subjective when it comes to their value because it's determined by the market. Right. And right. the market does what the market's going to do. And again, anyone who's watching, again, this information on the screen, my apologies, is totally wrong. This is 1992 Marvel Universe Series 3 Venom card number 108. Again, I was doing this really late last night, and I totally got this one wrong. Um, well, Asia says you and her could open a museum. She says Dave and I could open a museum. <laughs> Laugh out loud. 
<laughs> well, it's so. funny. I, I at one time intended to have a studio that was also like a museum. I wanted to have little things set up in all the different corners and and actually treat it like a museum. Um, but now it's more like a production facility. I've got these these utilitarian metal shelves. I've got all different kinds of printing equipment and vinyl cutters. And it's a very different place than it used to be since I started doing t-shirts and stuff. There's still a lot of fun stuff in here. I'm not trying to bring down the mood. But <laughs> I, I think not, it would be really I've always I've always wanted to if I could if I had like sort of like a successful thriving business and whether it was some sort of manufacturing plant or if it was a studio, a movie studio, of course, I, that's the main thing I would love to have is a movie studio. But, it, you know, it could be, um, you know, other other things that I'm interested in, you know, it, it, like, you know, that require a big warehouse or something, just a big building in general. I've always yeah. thought about how cool it would be to have like a really nice lobby that you have, you know, decorated with all sorts of cool, you know, cool items and things like that related to, to your particular industry. You know, like if it yeah. was a studio, I'd love to have like a bunch of old projectors and old cameras and things like that, you know. So I think that would be really cool. And I think uh, something like that would make a lot of sense if, if, if uh, you know, you ever uh, go down that path as well. If you have an office or something like that, maybe you can just decorate it with all these cool things, you know, that you're into, you know? Well, I hope to, you know, um, well, well, it's weird because I, I actually had a vision for what I want Kirby T's to be. And it kind of surprising because it wasn't, it wasn't like I originally thought it was going to be. And I, I definitely wanted to get to that point. So. But, to, but, but Hollywood Jackson, you know, he has, he's hit the nail right in the head. We both need, he says you need a, a life-size Picardinator to complete the collection. Oh, I mean, that's, that's just a given. It has to be like right when you walk in, like that's the first thing you see. Or it's like the center showpiece, like almost like an altar. You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. Right. With the Picardinator. Right. <laughs> and Asia says, uh, oh, I would go to your house, man. It's Wonka level for me. <laughs> <laughs> The golden ticket. So maybe you're gonna have to do uh, that one of these days, Dave, on a future episode. You give the golden ticket. So it's not, mu <laughs> it's not much of a tour, but there you go. Um, all right. Uh, so that's gonna be it for our picks for this evening. Again, this is gonna be the main card we're gonna be recommending for those of you that are uh, into collecting the trading cards. It's 1990 Impel Marvel Universe number 73 Venom. I really think this is gonna be the key card to have in your collection and. Just like with last week, I've been trying to look at things that kind of a more modern collector might also have, you know, already in their collection and just kind of highlight, you know, you might want to set this aside. You might want to take better care of it because this this might be um, something that's a, a little bit more valuable than you might be initially thinking. And like I said, uh, graded in a high grade, you know, you could probably get a, a, you know, a decent little chunk of change for this particular card. So, yeah, absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, that's that's it for me. What do you have for the collector's corner portion of the show today, Eric? Oh well, Asia did have one last contest. She says if she finds her, she will post a pic. If she cool. finds her. So cool. All right. Um, so uh, I did want to give an update on uh, the campaign that I've been following, uh, the 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 comic campaign that I've been following. So let me get that up here for you. This is an Indiegogo campaign. Uh, this is an independent comic book. 
as I say, I like to support independent. Uh, that's that's where I'm at in my life, and that's where I am as far as you know. I feel like I'd be a hypocrite if I was doing anything else at this point. So uh, this I've been following this campaign on Indiegogo. This is Jack the the Ripper, Vampire Hunter. This is uh, from Mandy Summers and also Peter Gilmore. Mandy Summers is the writer, publisher, and Peter Gilmore is the artist. Um, they have three days left in the campaign. I do. Uh, I am going to support this campaign. I've, I've been involved with a bunch of other stuff, and I've only got three days left. So by the time we have our next episode next Thursday, uh, this campaign will be over. But uh, they are at, sitting at $36,380 with 575 backers. I think that is tremendous. Uh, these are, are people that don't have a, a mainstream pedigree, if you will, you know, as far as like Marvel, DC, or even at one of the other uh, smaller publishers that I'm aware of. Uh, so it's amazing that they've done this well. I mean, their original goal was 500 bucks, folks. They were just looking for 500 bucks to publish this thing. They're up to $36,380 with three days left again, three days left and 575 backers. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. So you can get the book uh, with cover A for 25 bucks. They've got a cover B also 25 bucks. They've got t-shirts for 25 bucks. Uh, you can get both of the covers for 50 bucks. And as you can see, as I'm scrolling down, you can see some of the, the great artwork uh, from this book. Uh, really, really fantastic artwork, in my opinion. But I definitely want to give everybody an update on this. Um, I do not know if they're going to be doing an on-demand phase. I would guess they are, because it seems like everybody does. We did an on-demand phase uh, with Staycation. So, you know, as far as with that project, so uh, Russ decided to do that. So it seems like everybody does the on-demand at some point or another. So uh, this is one of those that uh, is, uh, you know, as far as the actual campaign is fading fast and you don't necessarily want to take a chance that you might be able to get this. And of course, once I do get this, I promise, I promise, I promise, I will do um, a review. I promise that I will do, I will do a review of the, um, of the uh, uh, of the book, and I'll be honest. I'll be honest about it, whether I like it or not. You know, whether you know the artwork. From what I can see, I think I'm going to dig the artwork, but I'll definitely be honest about it. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get uh, political in that sense uh, with my my books or anything that I support. But I do plan to put my money where my mouth is when it comes to this, and uh, I just want to encourage people support independent you don't have to support this necessarily if you don't like it if it's not your speed maybe you don't like black and white maybe you don't like horror i don't know maybe you don't even like comic books i don't know but you know the thing is um i really think it's important to support independent projects i do too i i highly highly think it's important to support independent projects obviously as an independent creator myself um you know uh most of most of the things in all honesty um, i've been known for over the course of my career um really has been independent projects and i, I it's weird because when i consider uh the backlash and the grief and whatever that's going on i talked about at the top of the show it almost makes me wonder if i should just you know ditch talking about the the dc and the marvel projects i worked on and just talk about my creator own project <laughs> you can just do both, both. You can do both. Yeah. So just as we were talking about earlier, right? It doesn't have to be that stark black and white choice, right, Dave? You know, right. you, you have done it all. One thing I, I think it's important for people to know, and I think most of the people that, that consistently watch the show know, but there might be a casual viewer out there. There might be somebody on the repeat. 
The thing about Dave that I find that's interesting and why um, he's such a, a, uh, a viable commentator is the fact that he checks off so many different boxes. He's worked in the mainstream comic book industry on both sides, DC and Marvel. That's, that's the, as mainstream as you get. He's done multiple independent books by himself or with you know other people. So he's done multiple books, whether it's Bushy Tales, Red Skirts. He's done multiple independent books that he has self-published. So he's a self-publisher, you know, in addition to being indie, right? And he's done indie on the other side, like uh, the Occupants comic book tie-in, which was he was hired to do that. We hired him to do that, right? And uh, Russ Emanuel and I were the publisher on that one, uh, co-publishers on that. So he's done the independent side on, on in that regard. Um, and then on top of that, he is a super fan. You know, Dave, you're, you're one of those people that grew up on this stuff and really love yeah. this stuff because that's one thing that I, I, I really like to emphasize to people and to fans is just remember the truth of the matter is a lot of the talent are not fans. They're not. They are absolutely not fans. Um, and you really see that in, in all sorts of different ways. Um, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking the other day about my experience at the event formerly known as Star Trek Vegas. And the highlight, uh, besides seeing my friends, which was the real highlight, and that, that is the real highlight of those types of events when you can see old friends. But, uh, you know, I got to I got to meet Kelsey Grammer. And, you know, and, and I actually got a, a picture with Kelsey Grammer. And I went to his panel. And one thing that I thought was really interesting, Dave, I think you'll find this interesting as well. And I think when you think about this, you'll be like, there's some truth to this as a, as a Trekkie, you know, because I know you've gone to a lot of conventions. It's interesting to, to note that the fact of the matter is, I would say the vast majority of Star Trek actors are not fans of Star Trek and they're not fans of even genre. Yeah. They're kind of stuck in it. What they'd rather be doing is theater or drama or comedy. They'd rather be doing what Kelsey Grammer's doing. Okay. They'd rather be doing the stuff that he's known for. Although Kelsey Grammer has done genre. In fact, He's still very proud of being Beast. That was a neat thing during his panel. He, you could tell he was still very proud of that role. And he was also in Transformers. And he, was, he threw that all out there. He's, very, he's proud of the work that he's done regardless. But what's interesting is there were people that were asking him, kind of not, not super obscure, but they, you know, there were some you know, Frasier and Cheers fans there that were asking him Frasier and Cheers questions. And right. they're the type of questions that you ask them in a Star Trek context, they make fun of you. Because what happens is the actor goes, oh, my God, that was so long ago. How would I remember that? Kelsey Grammer was remembering things the fans didn't remember. Because wow. you know why? Because he was invested in his own show and liked his own show. Right? That's right. what I got from that. And so many of these actors, unfortunately, in Star Trek that we love them, we love them. But remember, they're actors, they're talent. They don't love the show. They don't love genre. I, I just thought that was interesting. I'm, I'm curious what you think about that, because obviously you weren't there. But I just I can tell you that uh, Kelsey Grammer was coming up with stuff from those episodes, like little obscure details that he would just pop into his head. And it was obvious he was invested in a way that I think a lot of Star Trek actors aren't. No, that's really cool. I mean, you know, when you that that's what you hope to hear as a fan too. You hope that they're going to have that insight, you know, or um, that you know. It's like, for example, um, many many years ago, um, we were I was at WonderCon in Kentucky. Lynn, who is often in the Rogues Gallery, good friend of mine, uh, co-creator of Bushy Tales. Um, 
and I think right now host the Drawing Funny podcast. Um, Lynn and I were both at Wonderfest in Kentucky, and uh, Bernie Wrightson was doing a panel. The great legendary Bernie Wrightson, who's who's since passed. Um, I am a huge fan of Bernie Wrightson. Uh, I love Swamp Thing, um, which you know Bernie co-created Swamp Thing with Lynn Wein. Lynn Wein, uh, one of my favorite comic writers of all time. Um, He's someone I actually got to invite to the Phoenix Comic Con, and he came. That's awesome. And he was very nice to me. I always like to say the good stories because I have a ton of bad stories and I don't tell them. But Len Wein was someone I met at San Diego uh, Comic-Con, actually at the Writers Guild, the Animation uh, Writers Caucus Writers Guild reception because I used to have an in there. And uh, I invited him and he was very gracious and he came. So That's really cool. You actually helped me to meet one of my childhood heroes then. There we go. Um, It all comes down to me. Although I will say, I will say, as Hollywood Jackson says, Dave is my hero. Uh, And as Asia says, Dave is the greatest of all time. So you got some fans here, buddy. Y'all are too (laughs) kind. Um, But uh, he was, he sat down and it was like a, like a, I don't know. It was like a dance ballroom, you know, where they have those little circular floors with a little, iron fence and it goes around different sides right and so he was sitting in the center and it wasn't that many of us and he's like well why don't you guys just kind of sit around and we'll do this kind of in the round i was okay that's cool so i kind of sat around and he sat in this chair with a easel with a big pad of paper and he drew swamp thing and all he had was a sharpie and a, a pad of paper he didn't do any preliminary drawing of any kind he just started drawing swamp thing and it was interesting. We were talking about different things and whatever. And then someone asked him, they were talking about comic book movies. And I asked him, what was his favorite comic book movie? Or what what um, what did he think was like the best adaptation of a comic book movie or whatever? And people had asked him different questions about different things. And it was really interesting because um, Barney Wrightson said at that time, and again, this is many, many years ago, he said at that time, he said in his opinion, he thought the best comic book type movie he'd seen so far was RoboCop because it had all the trappings of a comic book movie, but it was a fun genre sci-fi movie and it was kind of gory in places and had great action sequences. And you could tell that he just really enjoyed RoboCop. And I thought, this is really cool, man. Like, Like, I wouldn't think Barney Wrightson would like RoboCop. You know, when you look at Barney Wrightson's illustrations, you know, for like his adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or whatever, um, you know, you just see this sort of like turn of the century quality to his work. But it was just really fun hearing him talk just about how he liked RoboCop. He thought RoboCop was a great comic book style movie. And I, I, I thought that was really neat. Asia says he bought that for a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very appropriate comment. By the way, I do have to acknowledge uh, my partner and one of my best friends in the freaking world, Robert McVeigh, is in the house. Uh, says, hey, guys, good show. I think it's uh, Robert's been fairly public about this. He is recovering uh, from a heart attack. He has gone public with that. So I just I want to say I appreciate my partner and appreciate you checking the show out, Robert. Uh, you know, our, our hearts and prayers are with you. And all of you in the rogues gallery uh, uh, keep uh, supporting my my partner there as he as he recovers at home right now. But uh, he's doing better, right, Rob? I, I know you're doing a lot better. So I'm glad to see you, and I'm glad to see you commenting on the show, Robert. We got to get you on the show sometime. We've got to do that, uh, uh, Dave. We got to start talking a little bit more about yeah. Bad Bob Productions and what we've been doing, what we've been up to, and our adventures in Hollywood. Because we have had yeah. our little adventures in Hollywood. 
uh, Robert, Robert McVeigh and I, we, we, we do have some stories to tell about what Hollywood is actually really like. You know, we had that neat experience of actually filming in Burbank, you know, at an independent studio and everything. But it was in Burbank. And that that really is Hollywood. That that's Burbank is Hollywood. So. Yeah, it's good to good to have you here, uh, Robert. Glad to hear that you're you're doing doing better. All right. Um, I think we've gotten com completely off topic <laughs> at this point. Well, I'll, so, I'll, I'll get us back on, on one. All of, right, one you of the, do that. I'll, I'm, get, us, I'm I'll get us back on, on, on one of our, our description points because I always feel like we got to make sure we at least cover the stuff that's in the description in the title. This one's fairly uh, straightforward. Uh, I, I didn't talk to uh, Dave about this um, beforehand, uh, but this is... I believe that this has been around for a little while. So right now what you'll see is I have the toysrs.com website up. And I kind of just had that up there just because I was like kind of just kind of curious about what's on there. It looks like it's actually a lot of um, a lot of like, you know, uh, children's stuff. Like it, it says here, you know, obviously you've got all these different categories up to 11 years and then it's 11 years plus. And by the way, it, it's interesting to talk about that with being this is a collector's corner um, collector's corner segment. You know, I constantly am hearing from people in the industry that when it comes to toys, the real money is in in the toddler toys and in the young kid toys. That's really where toy companies make most of their money uh, between licensing and the fact that a lot of these uh, things that we think of as the big toys like Star Wars, even Marvel Legends, although Marvel Legends is kind of in its own category at this point, you know, as far as it's just an incredible seller. Um, a lot of these other licensed toys, stuff that I think our audience is more interested in, uh, doesn't generate the kind of money uh, that these these toddler toys and things like that actually generate. But the 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 main thing that I wanted to talk about uh, regarding uh, Toys R Us is this news that uh, Toys R Us is actually coming back. Um, and this is an article from uh, this is from businesswire.com. Um, it's a little bit of an older article, but Dave and I have been, you know, off doing other things. And this kind of, I think, was was uh, underneath our radar. But the the headline reads, Macy's and WHP Global Partner to bring universally beloved Toys R Us brand back to American shoppers. It says beginning today, and this article was actually dated uh, August 19th. So it is a little bit dated. It says, beginning today, Macy's customers can experience the expansive assortment of Toys R Us products online exclusively at, Marv uh, at uh, Macy's.com slash Toys R Us and Toys R Us.com, which I just showed you, powered by Macy's digital and fulfillment ecosystem. And that in itself, I don't think everybody's kind of like, eh, so they just bought the name. But it also says fans of the brand can shop Toys R Us destinations in more than 400 stores next year. So what we're talking about here is that basically Macy's is going to be essentially turning their, their toy department, which I don't even know if Macy's still has a toys department. I seem to remember them having one as a kid. I don't know if they really have much of one uh, in today's version of Macy's. But Macy's is really interesting because Macy's is one of those big legacy brands. It's like over 100 years old that's actually survived. Like we've seen Sears go into the wayside and all sorts of other big, big OFA Schwartz. You know, we've seen them go away, right? In fact, they were bought out by Toys R Us. But uh, of course, now we've seen Toys R Us go away. But apparently they're going to be doing a shop within a shop and they're going to bring Toys R Us back 
to 400 locations at Macy's stores, you know, I guess all over North America. Dave, had you heard about this? Because I know there's a lot of toy collectors that are probably very excited about this. I had I had heard that, but you know the the store within a store thing always kind of throws me off. So, uh, but I had heard that. Yes. Yeah, it's ironic because that's what uh, it, it wasn't so much a store within a store, but Toys R Us when they bought out FAO Schwartz. They basically had like two aisles or something like that. I don't know if you ever went into Toys R Us during that era, Dave, but they had like two aisles that was like all FAO Schwartz stuff, you know, like the traditional kind of, you know, kind of like uh, higher quality toys, I guess, that F FAO Schwartz was known for, you know, for people that don't know what FAO Schwartz was. I mean, they were like this big sort of premier brand um, toy store. They used to have their flagship store in New York. There's that scene in Big where they're playing on the the foot piano that's FAO Schwartz. And uh, at one point Toys R Us basically bought them out, but they still had FAO Schwartz branded merchandise within the store. It was like two aisles. Do you remember that stuff, Dave? Do you remember that era? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, it, it's just, yeah. I mean, I, I remember it, but it, it, you know, and I think of, this will sound weird. One of the strongest, most vivid memories I actually have of Toys R Us um is when um they were carrying all the the uh the marvel cartoons when they released those on vhs tapes but they were the clam clamshell uh cases the clamshell cases yeah and they had all the um they had like the, the cool packaging artwork and it was like you know the submariner cartoons from the 60s and it was you know the hulk cartoons from the 80s and the Spider-Woman cartoons from late 70s, early 80s. And and they just had like a whole wall of those. And a lot of those cartoons at that point I had never seen. And I just remember just being mesmerized and actually transfixed by those. So that's my most strong, my strongest memories actually of Toys R Us is that. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, I, I remember that period when, when they had kind of the branded stuff. I'm just saying that just generally with me, the store within a store thing always throws me off. I, I don't. I mean, I understand it, but I don't understand it. <laughs> well, what the hope is for me is that basically we're going to see Macy's uh, basically commit to toys. So while they're using the Toys R Us brand, ultimately what we're talking about is Macy's stores having a really decent toy section. Because, you know, I don't go to Macy's a lot myself personally. There's actually one very close to my house. Um, but I don't go there a whole lot. And one of the reasons I don't go there a whole lot is because they don't have a toy section. So I'd rather go to Target and do my shopping there where I, I no matter what I'm buying at Target, right? Because there's lots of things I can get at Target. I can go to the toy section and check it out. Plus, they, they're carrying the line that I'm supporting, which is the Kenner Marvel Legends line, the, the, the three and three quarter inch uh, Marvel Legends uh, toys that I've shown on previous episodes. By the way, I've been having a lot of problems finding the new uh, Wave 3 figures. Uh, they're really hard to find because I basically have wave one, wave two in my personal collection. Now wave three is really difficult to find. And we've even covered wave fours is supposed to be coming out soon. And I, I can't find wave three, but um, my hope is that what we're going to see is that basically we're going to see um, Macy's have a really viable, cool toy section, kind of like Sears back in the day. I remember Sears actually had a robust toy section when I was a kid. And then they kind of got away from that and, I think that's one of the reasons maybe Sears died. You know what I mean? In, in, in my estimation. So as much as I think there's sort of like a hype behind Toys R Us and of course using the name, 
what I'm really hoping is to see like Macy's have like a really robust, nice toy section that's going to have things like action figures and stuff that I think our audience is going to be interested in. That's my hope. Whether that actually happens or not, we're, it's, we're not going to know until next year. But uh, I did mention you can check out the, the website to see what's available there. It does look to me like it's, it is emphasizing the money makers, the real money makers, because let's face it, it's the toddler stuff. That's what, 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 you know, that's what actually makes toy companies their money. It's not Star Wars. It's not, it's not even Marvel. It's not any of that stuff. It's the toddler stuff that really makes them the big money. But my hope is, is that we're going to see uh, sort of a robust, you know, uh, toy area in Macy's. I will say this. To put it in perspective, though, we're talking about 400 locations, right? Do you have right. any idea how many Walmarts there are, Dave? In, no, in, I have just no in the idea. United States alone, over no. 5,000. There's over 5,000. Wow. Okay. So they're not going to be on the level of competing with them. Uh, even Target is just under 2,000. It's like 1,900 something. Uh, so to put that's in perspective, too, because you know people will talk about Target being the main competitor of Walmart, and Walmart has over uh, you know, two times the number of stores they do. Although uh, I, I, what's interesting to me is like in my area where I live, there's like three Walmarts I know that are pretty close and there's three targets that are pretty close. I think where the divide is, is in the rural parts of the country. I think targets very robust in cities, but not as robust in, in the, in the country in the more rural areas where Walmart dominates. And that's where Walmart really picks up and, and destroys even target in the number of stores. But still, I've got a Macy's right down the street from my house. So um, I'll definitely uh, be checking this out. And uh, when, when they do introduce the store within a store, I'm going to do my best to do some filming at my local Mar uh, uh, Macy's and hopefully be able to show that to our audience about what, what is this like? You know what I mean? Is this any good? Is, this some, is it just hype driven or is it something that uh, will be exciting? You know, so I, I hope to be able to report on that in the future. What's interesting is, you know, talking about Sears and their toy section when I was a kid, I remembered that um, sometimes I could uh, pick things out of the, you know, the Sears uh, catalog and then my mom would order it for me. That's actually how I got a lot of my Buck Rogers toys when I was a kid. I used I had... to love the Sears catalogs. I don't know yeah. if you had that experience as a kid. Yeah. I would steal the Sears catalog from my mom as soon as I could, and I would just look at all the wonderful toys. I wish I still had those catalogs because just having the catalogs, there were so many cool toys in those catalogs, um, and I would just look at them for hours as a kid, just thinking yeah. about all these crazy toys. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I have vivid memories of that, vivid memories of that as a kid. And it was interesting because I remember picking out like my Tweaky, you know, from Buck Rogers. And it, it was so it was so funny because uh, when we went out there and we picked it up and my mom gave it to me, it came out a little brown box. It wasn't on a blister pack. And you had to open the little brown box and it came out and there was like nothing else that kind of went with it. So it was a, it was a different experience, <laughs> you know, but that Sears catalog was amazing because it just seemed like it had everything in it. So. Yeah, again, I would love to just have some of those old catalogs just to, to look at today because so many cool things and actually very good from an art, you know, an, an archivist, uh, you know, if you want to archive stuff um, from that perspective, it's a great way just as a resource to see what was actually out there. You know what I mean? Back in the day, because 
we forget about a lot of these toys sometimes some of the more obscure things that they came out even in some of these major toy lines and uh sears would like show it all uh asia mentions that she was she says i was a lionel Playworld girl myself i've actually mentioned that on the show previously that originally the big toy store that was like in not in my city but like the closest one to me growing up was a lionel play world and it was toys r us that put him out of business <laughs> the toys r us basically opened up almost across the street and put my lionel play world uh out of business but i have vivid memories of, of lionel play world i really enjoyed going there as a kid um my brother got his ColecoVision there which was our, our first uh you know console that was the first console we had in the house, and it was my brother's ColecoVision. He still has that ColecoVision to this day. Uh, Hollywood Jackson mentions, I worked at Toys R Us as a teenager. That was the best job ever, playing with the new toys and video games all day. And I think every kid kind of imagines that, right, Dave? As a kid, you imagine, wouldn't it be the greatest thing to work in a toy store, right? Because you could right. play with everything, right? So right. apparently Jackson actually did that. Um, and then <laughs> Asia says it's storeception. It's a store within a store, plain a store. <laughs> so your concern right there, Dave. It's it's storeception. Is it storeception? As far as the the Toys R Us going into the Macy's. Um, oh, and I remember that too. Best had a great toy section. Going going old school '80s stores here. Yeah, and ironically, the best in my area, the closest one to me was across the street from the Toys R Us. And then eventually the best one out of business too. <laughs> Toys R Us was still there for quite a while, but, but that Toys R Us, that particular one that I'm thinking of, that one out of business before Toys R Us went out of business. It, by the time I was like an adult and taking my own kids to Toys R Us, it was a totally different Toys R Us in a totally different area. And of course I had moved by that time, but uh, yeah, I, I remember best as well. Uh, and let's see. Uh, Jane mentions, when I was a kid, the Sears catalog was the way to pick out what to decide what I wanted for Christmas. And I relate to that, Jane. I relate to that as well, because that was a way that I picked things that I wanted for Christmas. <laughs> Did you do that, Dave, as well? Do you remember doing that? Yeah, I talked about that earlier, that that's, you know, I would pick stuff out of there. And, um, you know, sometimes I would get them for Christmas or, or whatever. Um, and yeah, but it's... Um, yeah, it's just a it's a whole experience. It's a whole thing. I feel like the, you know, I guess just for the new generation, it's just different. I mean, for them, they're picking stuff out on the internet, but it's, right. it's just a different thing. Yeah, everything a different is experience. Amazon, but Hollywood yeah. Jackson says the Sears catalog was great. Asia says J.C. Penney was ours. I do remember some good J.C. Penney uh, catalogs, and J.C. Penney still has a tiny toy section. I was into J.C. Penney's not too long ago. Uh, not too many JC Pennies around, it feels like, but they do have a small toy section to this day. So, um, yeah, and I th think we're pretty much, uh, <laughs> Asia does say we probably met, man, because we got our ColecoVision there regarding the Lionel Playworld, and we grew up in the same area. So, we may have been going to the same Lionel Playworld and not even realized it at the time. So, <laughs> and then Hollywood Jackson calls out service merchandise. And that's what I was talking before about service merchandise. I had to go to service merchandise to get my Constructicons when I was a kid because that was the only place that had the Constructicons. And, and I still don't understand why service merchandise is the only place near that had the Constructicons, but it was. I also remember, too, my first G.I. Joe stuff I ever got was actually a service merchandise, too. The What was it? The 
Was it the Ram? Was the motorcycle? Or was it the Jeep? The Ram? The, yeah. Which one was the motorcycle? I don't remember because I didn't have the motorcycle. I never, no. I never actually had the motorcycle. Um, I, I remember I, I got the motorcycle and um, I got Grunt Exit Service merchandise. Uh, my first actually was Flash, uh, the laser rifle trooper. Um, and I don't, I honestly don't remember where I got that one at. But then the second GI thing I remember buying was actually the was motorcycle. And even though rock and roll is pictured riding on the motorcycle, I actually got grunt. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it was. And I, it was weird too because shortly thereafter, I saw uh, that movie had, uh, I think it was Barry Bostwick or whatever was in it. Yeah, it is the Ram, the rapid something motorcycle. This is um, the one, right? That I got, yeah, I that's got it. on the screen yeah. here. Yep. In all of its glory. I, I never had this. I always wanted it. I, my friend had it. One thing I remember was that the gun uh, would come off kind of yeah. sometimes. You know what I mean? That's playing with it. I, like I said, I had a friend who had it. I remember that they, that was one of the issues with it, that the gun would come off a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I ha I loved motorcycle stuff as a kid. I, I talked before about how much I loved uh, Street Hawk. I think I talked about Street Hawk, Street Hawk here on the show. But um, no, yeah, I um, yeah, Grunt and the Ram motorcycle was the next two GI Joe things I, I remember getting as a kid. And then uh, shortly thereafter, I got the van, not the van, the Jeep that came with Clutch. And the whole reason I I got that one was because I saw that it was the I think it was Barry Bostwick movie. It was the stunt movie, how the motorcycle stuff in it. Oh, shoot. What was the name of that movie? I'm going to have to look it up now. I don't, I don't um, think I saw that one. <laughs> Maybe somebody in the rogues gallery knows what Dave's talking about. Um, I'm typing it in here. Um, let's see. I think it was Barry Bostwick was in it. Let's go to IMDb here. Asia says uh, Best also had the Constructicons, the entire set. And she says, I swear, Dave Beatty and I are the same nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Megaforce. Megaforce. That was it. And it was weird because I started buying the G.I. Joe stuff because it reminded me of some of the stuff that I saw in Megaforce. Um, are you not familiar with Megaforce, Eric? I am not. I don't think I ever saw it. Um, uh, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't uh, seem familiar to me. Uh, it was like a big stunt, spectacular type movie back in the day. Um, it had a lot of. I don't know. It was a very. You know, it's weird because I just remember really liking it as a kid, but in hindsight, um, you look at it looks. It looks pretty silly. Um, let's got see some here. images up right now for you there. Okay, yeah, I was it just does, trying it to does find. Look very, very silly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure I, if I had seen uh, this, I would have remembered it. So it does look like some of the design of the cars actually were pretty interesting, though. I will say that. Especially well, yeah, on the, it was on the poster there. It looks pretty interesting, but it yeah, just, it very. I, I do like the Darth Vader thing that's going on too, where he's got the little control panel on his chest for for no yeah. reason. <laughs> other than to look like darth vader hey that's definitely a thing so well asia's again supporting you backing up she says dude you should watch it so 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe I will. If it's, I don't know. Is it available anywhere, or has it been? I banned? don't know. <laughs> <laughs> banned and buried. Uh, it's funny because Megaforce, you know, sounds like a band, like an '80s metal band. Megaforce. It sounds very '80s, uh, regardless yeah. of what it is. It could be a cartoon. Uh, you know what I mean, or, or something yeah. like that. You know, definitely sounds very '80s. I just, I just remember um, watching that movie and as a kid thinking it was really cool. And I started first collecting the GI, the GI Joe toys because they reminded me of Megaforce. And then eventually I saw the actual GI Joe cartoons, and then that started a whole different thing because it's not, right. it's not really the same thing at all. But just in my kid brain, I was like, oh, this is kind of like whatever, you know. So, well, Asia um, says growing up in the desert, we would get cardboard and pretend it. Yeah, and then Hollywood Jackson says, "Is that Joe Dirt?" <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood, I'm. I actually really love Joe Dirt. And funny, you know what's funny is, I have a physical copy of Joe Dirt, and it's for my PSP. You know, it's that failed media. It's one of those great failed media stores. You, are you familiar with what I'm talking about, Dave? Yes. You know, the PSPs had. Uh, you could actually get movies for them, on the on that Universal. I think they used to call it Universal Media Disc, uh, UMD. Yeah. And it was, you know, this very small disc that was actually in a little housing because it was like almost like an optical disc. I guess it was much more delicate than a CD. So it actually had a housing and you would, you know, smack it. I still have it. And uh, yeah, Joe Dirt is actually one of my real guilty pleasures. I love that movie. I think it's I, I, I laugh out loud and I think it's got a lot of heart. So I, I think Joe Dirt is probably one of the most underrated movies of all time. Um, yeah, there you go. There you go. Hollywood Jackson. You can have no in your heart. Life's a garden. You got to dig it. True <laughs> words have never said. Life's a garden. You got to dig it, man. <laughs> well, there you go. I um, I thought this was the deal, but now I'm beginning to question it. Uh, let's see here. Well, Asia says she was yelling Cobra la 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 like lunatics in the playground after G.I. Joe the movie. Do you relate to that, Dave? I, I yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't remember yelling Cobra la, but I remember after that first, uh, the, the very first um, miniseries they did, I remember I was just completely obsessed with... Um, yeah, just completely obsessed with G.I. Joe after that first mini. That first miniseries is really cool. Um, I mean, the G.I. Joe cartoon in general I thought was really cool, but I really, really liked that initial um, miniseries. The, the very first one where they were yeah. was, they were getting parts for the Weather Dominator, right? That was the first one? Yep. Yeah, I remember yep. that. I remember that. Well, I do want to get this discussion going on our last topic, Dave, because uh, yeah, yeah. It's the, the Rose Gallery is pretty vocal, and I'm hoping they're going to weigh in on this, and they're going to give us some of their thoughts about this uh, this Spider-Man trailer. So I, I want to get into it. So as, as folks will know, unfortunately, uh, when it comes to this show, um, and I shouldn't say we're singled out. I've, I've heard like even Midnight's Edge was complaining the other day because, you know, they had, uh, they, they were, they were doing some sort of a trailer reaction and they got demonetized. Although I just saw them do one on Spider-Man No Way Home. So apparently they're still doing trailer reactions, even though they already got warned. I don't know how that all works. All I know is we keep getting warned every time we do an actual trailer reaction. So we basically uh, don't do them. Uh, you know, we basically don't do them. 
So the difference, but I want... the difference, though, too, Eric, is that sometimes our streams, our episodes get completely blocked. It's it's not even just that we get demonetized. <laughs> they take the whole damn episode down. Well, we, you, you cannot demonetize that which is not monetized. <laughs> so, you know, it's like there's no other recourse, I guess, for us. I mean, it's like. We can't There's, demonetize the guys. We're not giving them money anyway, so we, we we'll just we'll just take down their, their we'll just completely take down their video and flag them forever. You know what I mean? Because once you get a flag, you're stuck. It's basically one warning and three strikes, and you're done. You've lost your YouTube channel. You've, you've lost it. It's, it's gone. It's it's over. There's our next shirt. Our next shirt. You cannot <laughs> demonetize what was never monetized. I like that. I like that. That's yeah. I like that a lot. Actually, I like that a lot. So this is a deadline article that I found. It says Spider-Man No Way Home, first day global trailer, views smash Avengers Endgame all-time record. And we even got a little scene, and hopefully we won't get flagged for this little scene from the trailer that I can actually put up as we talk about this. So clearly, uh, this a trailer is getting a reaction from people. So... Uh, Dave, I definitely want to give you give you the give you the, the the mic for a second and let you give us your initial thoughts on the Spider-Man trailer, uh, because I think there's uh, I'm hoping that there's a lot of opinions out there. If you haven't seen it, that does kind of suck, but you might have some thoughts because there was a leak. Uh, the trailer was leaked and people were talking about it. That's actually when I first saw it. I saw a leaked version of the trailer. Then I, I saw the official version, which I think is interesting, that whole leaking incident. Uh, but there's a, definitely a lot of feelings about this. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of excitement, honestly, about this, even with people that um, might be down on the MCU right now or, or down on Marvel in general. I think there's, um, I think there's a lot of, of excitement about this. So I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are, Dave. I, um, I've seen the trailer uh, multiple times. Um, pretty excited for the film just in general. Um, the uh i you know one of my not really one of my favorite it's a great marvel movie it's not, but it's not one of my favorite marvel movies per se but one of my favorite marvel villains um actually in uh all of the different movies they've made based off the marvel characters is actually alfred uh molina's doc ock i really like the way that character kind of came across he's not quite the straight up villain um, that he was like in the cartoons when I was a kid, but they did such a great job. You know, Sam Raimi, you know, for example, like evoking and calling back all those classic comic book images like that scene where Doc Ock gets the arms strapped on him for the first time in the movie and he's raising his arms up and then the, the, you know, the octopus robot arms are raising up and it looks almost identical to actually one of the, the panels that Steve Ditko drew in the early Spider-Man comics. They, and that was the thing. Sam Raimi, you could tell, was a Spider-Man fan. That's what made those uh, Tobey Maguire movies with Kirsten Dunst and everything in them so good, is that he was a, he was a big Spider-Man fan. And he had so many neat little things in there. You know, little things that no one thinks about that really sell you on those characters. Like the in the first one, when the Green Goblin attacks... And Spider-Man manages to save Mary Jane and save a bunch of the people. And then the, the Green Goblin kind of gets turned away at his 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 glider, which, you know, the comics is a Batwing glider, but he's on his glider, 
I know, I know it was originally a broom, but anyway, he's on his batwing glider and he's kind of going crazy. And there's that weird little stream of like puff of smoke coming off the back of it. And he's like, uh, we'll meet again, Spider-Man or whatever. As he's like flying off. And like, that was cool. Cause that's like something you would have seen in the cartoons. You know, something that would have been in the comic books. Like, you know, those little touches when you can tell someone's a fan really sells you on what you're watching. If, if you're into it. And so for me, I'm just excited at the possibility of having, you know, Green Goblin, Doc Ock, and all these other villains in a Spider-Man movie together. You know, I mean, it looks like we're probably going to get the Sinister Six, and, and I think that'll be really cool. Now, the way they've arrived at the Sinister Six is crazy to me, how they're going to basically pick and choose from all these different movies in order to assemble a Sinister Six. Um but I'm pretty excited about it just, just on the surface of that alone. And that, that scene where it's Alfred Molina's Doc Ock back again, and he's like, hello, Peter. Like, that's right. just, I just think that's cool. I really think that's cool. So I'm looking forward to it. I really like Doctor Strange. I really liked uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange. He was so great, like, in Infinity War. Um, obviously in his first movie, he was good, but I really, really liked him in infinity War. you saw him using all his different powers. So I don't know this is an easy sell for me. You've got Dr. Strange, you've got Spider-Man, you've got classic Spider-Man villains played by people who I do like playing those Spider-Man villains. So that this is, th this for me is an easy sell cause I'm really into it. What did you think, Eric? Well, I, I want to go back to the rogues gallery. And, and again, I, I just think that there is a tremendous amount of excitement about this film. And, and there is a lot of positive reaction to the trailer, even with a lot of the naysayers. And uh, Asia was saying, honestly, when I saw Doc Ock and heard the Green Goblin, I screamed. Um, and I think that's the reaction that a lot of people have had. And uh, to go back to your point, Dave, I think it's actually very wise uh, what Sony's doing. Um, We've, we've been getting so much teasing of the multiverse, you know, all the way from Endgame. And Endgame already established the multiverse. And I, I and this is this is this is a total nerd debate right here because a lot of people I feel still don't understand what Endgame was saying and what the implications of it were. So let me try to explain this the best that I can, especially from a sci-fi kind of nerdy perspective. Okay. I'm one of those people that really thinks time travel going back you know, actually traveling back in time is impossible. Okay. The reason I feel it's impossible is because of the, of the paradoxes, because if you could go back in time, you could go back in time and kill your own grandfather, but then you would never exist. So how could you go back in time and kill your grandfather? The way that I solve that is the way they solve it in Endgame. I think if you could travel in time, you would actually create another universe. This is the idea of parallel universes, an idea that was explored in the film Occupants, which I'm an associate producer on, and also it was explored even more in the official Occupants uh, movie tie-in, which was a completely unique story that touched on the movie uh, that Dave and I did um, for, uh, for in a comic book form. It was, it was an officially related to the movie. So I'm into the idea of parallel universes. So basically what Endgame established is that in their continuity and their cosmology, they agree with me. That if you could travel in time, the moment you actually appear in the timeline, it splits. You have now created another universe, okay? Because you weren't there originally. 
So that just creates another universe, if you can understand that. And I feel like so many fans don't get that. Um, some fans, I think, just don't like it because they, they like the idea of traveling in time. And I understand that. There's lots of great sci-fi movies that uh, involve time travel. We've reviewed Back to the Future on this show. We reviewed Terminator on this show and Terminator 2 on this show. So, you know, it's not like uh, I, I'm totally against time travel. But ultimately, I think it's kind of stupid. I like the way that they're doing it in the MCU. And of course, the Sony movies are still part of the MCU. That's why we have Doctor Strange in this picture here. That's why he's in the movie. But I think it's really wise, and I think it makes a lot of sense that basically what Sony is doing is they're saying, hey, we've got this catalog now of Spider-Man movies. We've had two other Spider-Mans, right? And I never got into uh, the Andrew Garfield version. I didn't watch any of that. It just didn't appeal to me. I just never watched it. And I'm curious if anybody else has strong opinions on that either way. I did watch all the Tobey Maguire movies, and I liked the first two. I, I Well, I probably loved the first two. I loved the ending of the first one. I, I, that still gives me chills, the ending, where he's basically like, you know, this is like my curse. You know what I mean? Like, I am Spider-Man. And to me, that's Spider-Man. He's a dork. He's isolated. He's not cool. He's not rich. He's not any of those things. I, I just remember loving the end of the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, the, the original live-action Spider-Man movie. And uh, I really liked that version until 3 came out. Uh, three, I thought was pretty horrible uh, for a lot of different reasons. I didn't like three. And I was kind of happy to see it go away. And I know there's some people that don't like uh, this version of Spider-Man, uh, the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man, because they call him Spider-Boy. Um, and to some extent, I think that criticism is valid, uh, especially at this point, because, you know, you, you know, this is the third movie with him and he's still in high school. You know, and uh, I don't know. I don't know if I really like that. You know, he, he, you know, a lot of people are saying, can we can we get off with the spider boy and start getting to Spider-Man? But I always thought for whatever reason, I've always kind of related more to the high school version of Peter Parker, which is kind of weird because my introduction to Spider-Man was Spider-Man is amazing friends and Spider-Man is amazing friends. He is in college. He is Spider-Man. He is not Spider-Boy. He's in college. So um, that was actually my introduction. So I do get that nitpicking. I do get that nitpicking that some people have the Tom Holland version because it seems like he's going to be in high school forever, especially with the blip, right? With the, with the blip from Endgame. Uh, but I, I, I like what Sony's doing here because we've been teased the multiverse. It was well-established in Endgame. We kind of got, I guess, a little bit of a false start in the last uh, Spider-Man movie because we thought we were going to get more of the multiverse and we really didn't. Uh, you know, it was it was a fake. Mysterio was faking it. Spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> he was faking it. It wasn't really the multiverse. Uh, but now we are definitely getting the multiverse. We, we know that the Doctor Strange movie is going to be all about the movie, the multiverse. Obviously, this movie is teasing that. Um, I was really hoping to get the multiverse in WandaVision. You know, I was really hoping that that was going to be the, 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 you know, the big opening into the multiverse. It didn't happen. That's one of the reasons. Yeah, a lot I was of us were. Yeah, we, we talked. We, well, Dave and you, you and I talked about it in our review of Wandavision. We did review Wandavision, folks, and that was one of our disappointments that it really didn't go there. Like I thought that was an obvious opening into uh, connecting the Fox universe. Which, by the way, one piece of news we're probably not going to get to today is they are going forward with Deadpool three, and I feel like Deadpool three is going to be how they they start cherry picking the Fox X Men. Like right now, 
Sony is cherry picking their movies, their Spider-Man catalog, which I think is brilliant. And I love the idea of actually finally having the Sinister Six, right? That's what you were talking about, Dave. You really hit the jugular there. I think it makes sense. I, I like what Sony's doing, that they're just going to pick and choose their best villains and put them all together. Because to me, that's what the Legion of Doom is. And that's my favorite like super villain group. Take your best villains, cherry pick them, and put them in the movie. And that's what I'm probably most excited about. Well, and I'll let me let me say this too because I feel like this is something that also needs to be stated. Um, I watched the latest episode of What If, um, and you know I liked it. Um, I felt like the ending the ending was it wasn't that the ending was implausible. It's just I felt like even for a What If episode, I felt like well that kind of came out of left field. Uh, in, in context of how the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been set up, um, but I still like the episode overall. I, and I've liked all the What If episodes so far. But watching that What If, it ends on a moment, and it made me think, gosh, I miss Captain America. And I hadn't realized how much I've missed the Chris Evans version of Captain America, how much I look forward to seeing cap in a movie and how much i like that and when i started thinking about that now that we're discussing the spider-man no way home trailer it's interesting to me part of the reason i feel like i'm looking forward to this movie over some of the other stuff that marvel's producing right now whether you want to talk about shang chi whether you want to talk about eternals um is that this has in its movie we've got spider-man Doctor Strange, we got Doc Ock, Green Goblin, looks like potentially Electro, Sandman, that I've heard. I mean, it's oh, you like, heard they're bringing back these... Sandman? Yeah. Oh, look at all I guess, these. I guess now I'm against this movie. Because that was the main issue that I had with Spider-Man 3. I hated, I hated Sandman. I hated oh. that whole thing. I hated that whole, I hated everything about that. Everything, everything they did with Sandman in Spider-Man 3, I absolutely effing hate it. Hate it. Hate well, it. Well, let me let me state um, the what I'm saying here is these are all marquee named Spider-Man villains, and these are all marquee Marvel characters. You know, Doctor Strange, you know, is a very well-known Marvel character. Um, obviously everyone knows who Spider-Man is. Spider-Man is one of the most recognized characters in the world. I think Spider-Man you know, is Marvel. I, I've always thought not, of Spider-Man as the mascot essentially of Marvel. Heck, the comic books, you know, you used to get them if you got them, you know, basically from the, the, the direct market. Instead of a you know UPC code, it had Spider-Man on it. I mean, that's that's how iconic Spider-Man. That was every single yeah. Marvel property, whether it was G.I. Joe or Transformer or something was licensed, still had Spidey on it. So for me, Spider-Man is Marvel. He is the face of Marvel, always has been, always will be. And it's weird because I remember a time when The Thing was the face of Marvel. And I feel like The Thing has dropped so far down the podium of marquee superheroes. It's It's weird to me. Yeah, there, there's um, but, a, I love the thing. I think the thing is a great character, but yeah, he's definitely, well, let's just face it. The fantastic four movies, uh, the pretty mixed reviews, you know, I, I like yeah. the first one. Second one I thought was pretty dumb. I didn't even watch the third one. 
didn't even watch it. Wouldn't even give it the time of day. So, but when I think about Marvel villains, like I think of Doctor Doom, like Doctor Doom immediately comes to mind. And then when I start thinking about other Marvel villains, I go Magneto. And then right after that, in my mind, it's Doc Ock and Green Goblin. Not necessarily that order, but you know what I mean? Like they're marquee villains. So yeah. you've got major marquee villains. You've got major marquee Marvel heroes that people know and like in this movie. And when I look at the other stuff that Marvel's doing, these other films that we have getting ready to come out, we've got Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, however you're supposed to say it. Not trying to be disrespectful. I just don't know. I grew up with it being Shang-Chi. Um, I think that's racist, then, man. I think that's racist now, Dave. So. Well, there you go. <laughs> and Heart and then we have back Heart. to the beginning of the show. By the way, that's a call. Yeah, back we to are. The yeah, of this show. And, right. and I'm just going to pigeonhole you and and shove you in that corner. So, right. Thanks. <laughs> now I'm a racist. Awesome. <laughs> and and you have Eternals, right? You have Eternals, and that's the whole point I'm trying to make. Most people don't know who Shang Chi Shang Chi is. And most people don't know who Eternals is. Yeah, I, 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 I feel, I, I, I'm I going like, to tell you. I'm going to tell you straight up. I have no intention of watching either one of those movies. None. Zero. Zilch. No intention. My kids haven't asked me to go see them. So I have, there's no motivation for me to see them. I don't know anything about those characters. I don't care. No interest. Zero. Zilch. Zero. And I'm not watching the what if either. I'm not even watching. Yeah, I have Disney Plus. I'm not even watching that stuff. No interest. I'm sorry. Just I have no interest. But that's what I'm trying to get at, though, is when I look at what Marvel's doing and then I turn around and I look over here, that's what I'm saying. Marvel's going out of their way to stay away from marquee major characters, marquee major villains. They're giving us all this other stuff, which is fine because they might be able to make it work. I mean, they made Guardians of the Galaxy work and and by the way, when I we would. say Marvel, let's 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 uh, let's 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 just say let's just say it. We're really talking about Disney because there really is no Marvel. It's Disney, right. right? So, so, so anyhow, you know that's what they're giving us. And then I look at this Sony movie, and in this Sony movie, here we go: marquee heroes, marquee villains. And, and I think that's one of the reasons I'm excited about it is because I know who Doc Ock is. I'm excited to see Doc Ock again. I know who Green Goblin is. I'm excited to see Green Goblin again. I'm excited to see Doctor Strange. I'm excited to see Spider-Man. And, you know, I'll, I'll go see Eternals. I know who the Eternals are. I mean, I've read a lot of the books over the years. But it's the Eternals. The most exciting thing about the Eternals movie is getting to hopefully see the Celestials. <laughs> so, you know, I, and, and that's the thing that's really weird. I feel like that Marvel, Disney, Disney, Marvel, whatever you want to call it, I, I feel like that they're they're almost going out of their way to not give us marquee characters. I, I think what's really interesting, and I, I and uh, Asia has a lot of comments that I want to get to and comment on, but I, I think what's really interesting is um, there's this phenomenon that I I'm I definitely guilty as charged. I was part of this when I saw that that Disney had bought Marvel. And they were starting to get all the properties, you know, together. And of course, I think like every other, other every other, anybody who's like a kind of even a, a, a casual fan of this stuff, I thought Avengers was a triumph. You know what I mean? I thought that was an actual triumph. That was an amazing cultural moment to see all those characters and the care that 
that Marvel Studios took in building those characters up. I've said it many times. I've always considered Iron Man a throwaway D-list character that's a cheap ripoff of Batman. I love the first Iron Man. I thought it was amazing. I was totally sold. So, and then I was totally surprised by the Thor movie. I thought it was going to be so cheesy. I wasn't going to like it. I really ended up digging it. I liked it. And, you know, the, of all those movies, the only one that I was really kind of disappointed with, ironically, was Captain America, which was the character that I liked the most growing up. He was one of my favorite characters, but the movie didn't do anything for me because of the, the denazification that they did. I, I just will never forgive the original uh, uh, Captain uh, America because of the denazification. It's like, Captain America fights Nazis. Okay, I'm sorry. That's that's the point. That's his origin. But um, th there were all these really neat moments, and people started to say, "Hey, what about the X-Men? Oh, but Fox owns them. What about Spider-Man? Oh, Sony owns that, right?" And there was this big movement and this big thing where, like, oh, we want to get it all together because Marvel's doing such a great job. Marvel Studios at the time. This is before Disney, right? They're doing such a good job putting these characters together. They, they seem to be doing it so faithfully. And then uh, Civil War came along and we saw our first our first, uh, our first uh, meeting with the Tom Holland Spider-Man. And I think most fans were like, that's Spider-Man. The wise cracking, even though it was just a couple minutes, it's like, that was great. That was awesome. Wow. See how good the, the MCU can do it. And I was all on board with that. But now I feel like we're getting to the opposite side of it. You know, we've, we've done a 180 where now I think people are starting to say, whoa, <laughs> maybe Disney acquiring uh, Marvel and getting all the characters back together again isn't as great a thing as we thought because they are doing some weird things. They are doing getting some weird characters out there that nobody's heard of, at least not the casual fans. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know. And in a way, I feel like uh, Sony is kind of giving some relief to those fans that have become concerned that Sony is kind of doing it right. Now, I, I don't know if this movie is going to be any good or not. I mean, I, I've seen the same trailer you've all seen, right? Um, but it, it feels interesting to me that Sony might, in some interesting, strange way, be kind of a savior people that feel like uh, the MCU has gone in, a, in the wrong direction. Yeah. And that's a weird thing to think of too, because I remembered, you know, people really wanted Sony to just sell Spider-Man lock, stock and barrel to Marvel right. because we just, we just all assumed, you know, Ma Marvel would do it better. And it's weird too, because I'm one of those people. I liked the Venom movie. I mean, I know the Venom movie is kind of divorced from Spider-Man, but I liked the Tom Hardy Venom movie. I had a lot of fun with it. I felt like Venom, you know, as a character was was on point for the character I remember in the comics, other than he wasn't terribly villainous. He was more of an anti-hero. Um, but I really liked the Venom movie. And it's interesting to me um, and weird to think, like, I feel like, I feel like in, in a weird way, I feel like Marvel is going out of their way to stay away from the the marquee Marvel things for whatever their reason or purpose is. Um, and then you look at Sony, which is like, oh, we're going to give you Doc Ock, and we're going to give you Green Goblin. You want Spider Man? We're going to give you lots of Spider Man. You you want you want this? You want we're going to put this. You you guys like this? We'll put this in there too. 
And I really like that. And now it may, at the end of the day, it may be fan service and not work, you know, because too much fan service sometimes can be too much. Well, fa fa but, I like to say fan service for fan service's sake is always bad. Right. But fan service, if it's done in a way that is respectful to the story, you know, that enhances the story. Yeah, then it's exactly. Awesome. Yeah. That's what right. that's what I want. And and that's why I feel sometimes fan service even gets like a bad connotation because people don't put that little that little other part on it. It's like fan service for fan service's sake is generally bad. It's Akbar being a, a communications officer. He's a radio guy. I mean, I'll never forgive right. them for that and the way they killed Akbar. I'll never forgive Disney for that. One of my favorite characters and the, the, the disrespect. But if, if you actually integrate that, that character into the story, they're relevant to the story, then that's awesome. Now, now you, you, you've checked all the boxes, you know what I mean? And it, it, it becomes an awesome thing. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I'm hoping this new Spider-Man movie is going to be. I feel like that again, if, if they're faithful to, the way the characters were portrayed, specifically like Green Goblin and, and Doc Ock in the Sam Raimi films, because they're so close to the classic comic book versions, it's just going to be really neat to be sitting in a movie theater watching, you know, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, you know, battling classic Spider-Man villains. It, it's going to be like a great, you know, Marvel two-in-one or, you know, type of a, a situation, you know, so... Yeah. I, I think it sounds really great. So I, I'm really excited for it. Um, you know, and it's just weird because it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'll go see Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, mostly because I heard it's, it's actually <laughs> a, a, an interesting martial arts movie. So I'm going to go watch it for, for that purpose alone. Um, but for me, um, of all the Marvel stuff we've got going right now, Spider-Man No Way Home to me is is the clear winner because at least based on the trailer because it's just it's you know when you read the comic books you're like and you wonder about a movie it's like i wonder what that would look like in live action i wonder what that would be like in live action and that's what they're doing they're taking you the giving you those things that you want to see and they're taking them to live action you know um so yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to it um yeah, yeah along those lines, along those lines, Asia has a has a perfect comment here, and it's it's one of the first ones she made. She said, "Since I'm a, a fan of Into the Spider Verse, and I liked that film as well, I, I really did. I really enjoyed that one. This gave me all the feels, like it's the rejuvenation we needed with Marvel films again. And I think, and and that's kind of I think what you're saying, Dave. It, it really does feel like it's a it's a positive shot in the arm." as far as what Marvel's been doing lately, this seems like it's, it's uh, to me, it seems like it's getting things on track a lot better. Yeah, I think so. And, and it, this, this trailer too, seeing all this stuff reminds me of when we were watching WandaVision, we were going through the episodes and I was speculating like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if US agent is, is in charge of the team that they're going to send into the, the bubble or the hex or whatever they were calling it. Oh, and War Machine could be there and, and they could be working with Bucky, you know, and that was the thing. It's like, it, you know, and they're going to take the spectral vision or white vision or whatever the hell we're calling him. He's going to go in there with them. And, and, you know, it's just, I, I, I'm sorry, this is just making me sad. You, you come up with way better ideas than, than Disney does. And it, 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 it honestly just makes me sad because, 
And then I think about all the time we invested into those things and, and those hours of my life I'm never going to get back again. I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry. I'm just, it's just, it's, 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 it's tough sometimes. It's tougher sometimes to go down that road because again, Dave, right. I think you have much better ideas than these writers in Hollywood do. I really do. I feel like uh, there's so much of this stuff is just phoned in uh, because they feel like Marvel is like too big to fail. And everybody's yeah. talking about like, what's that moment? You know, some people are, are saying that Black Widow might already have been that moment that, it, 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 you know, it didn't reach expectations. We don't know about the um, online numbers and things like that. Those are closely guarded secret by by Disney. Again, a model I will never support. I already pay a subscription to Disney Plus. I am not going to pay an additional premium to watch a specific movie that's out in theaters. I'm sorry. I will never support that. I might go to the theater and watch that movie. If I'm interested in it, like this movie, I would definitely like to see in the theater. I would definitely like to see Spider-Man in the theater. But a lot of this stuff, I'm just, I'm just done. I'm not, I'm not even into it anymore. You know, um, it, it, Asia says it's Caucasian vision. <laughs> Don't be racist. <laughs> Laugh my effing ass off. <laughs> well, another thing uh, Asia mentioned, because we were talking briefly about this. She said she left for Andrew. But then they got her back with Tom. Did you watch the uh, Andrew Garfield version of uh, Spider-Man at all, Dave? Did you did you like it? Yeah, I mean, I saw I saw both of them. Um, they're not they're not movies that got a bunch of repeat viewings. I don't own them. That 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 should pretty much sum up how I felt about them. But I didn't hate them either. I mean, I I felt like the Amazing Spider-Man costume, the last costume that Andrew Garfield had in Amazing Spider-Man was a really, really great looking Spider-Man costume. I feel like it's still probably one of the better Spider-Man costumes that they've done. And I liked Andrew Garfield actually as Spider-Man. He's a little bit more emo or whatever, but you know, they were trying to make him for the, at that time, the, the, who they thought the current audience was or who they wanted their audience to be. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't hate the Andrew Garfield movies. I mean, I, I would enjoy seeing Andrew Garfield as a Spider-Man in this movie if, if the rumors are to be believed. Um, you know, he's he's a great actor. He's really great in Social Network, actually. It's a really talented actor. So, If he, if he is, uh, if he does show up in, in, in this Spider-Man movie, um, this will be the first time I see him in the Spider-Man role. So it'll be interesting. So... Because I have no intention of watching the other movies. They just didn't interest me. I think the bitterness of Spider-Man 3 was still also in my veins. I needed time to heal. <laughs> and I just wasn't interested in seeing another version of Spider-Man that soon. Which is which is right. interesting. We, we do get these versions like Fast and Furious with these reboots and things like that these days. Uh, Asia mentions that her only beef, being you know with the current incarnation of Spider-Man, is MILF Aunt May. <laughs> Laugh out loud. Um, I actually do uh, agree with you, Asia. Um, I've always thought of Aunt May as an old woman. And uh, I don't know the, I like Marissa Tomei as an actress a lot. Um, I actually own The Wrestler. Uh, the Wrestler is a movie that I really like, relate to in some ways and really enjoy. And Marissa Tomei does a fantastic job in The Wrestler. Um, all the praise that she got for that is worth it. And I remember Mar Marissa Tomei on A Different World. That's, I remember her, you know what I mean, from her first role or her first big role or first big break. But no, I, I, I agree with you. I am not into the MILF Aunt May. I always thought of Aunt May as an old woman. What about you, Dave? Where do you come in on that? 
Well, I kind of fell in love with Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny, so I'm not going to say that. That's another good one. She's great. Yeah, she's great in my cousin Vinny as well. Again, that's no knock on the actress. It's just a matter of. Yeah. Uh, I don't think of Aunt May as a as a milf. I just don't. I don't think of her that way. So. Well, and, and <laughs> I've I've said before that for me, all these different movies and TV shows and everything, I always look at them as Elseworld stories anyway. So it, in this particular Elseworld story, the Tom Holland Spider-Man verse, as it were, you know, he just has Fiona Satome as his mom. So um, what I, I was going to say I, is that... I think that's a good point to another major criticism, by the way, which is a lot of people, they don't like the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man because they're like, well, I don't like the fact... Because a lot of people feel like he's like Iron Man Jr. in the MCU. And I think and you could you you could make that argument. He is sort of like the heir presumptive, you know, to Iron Man, right? Although I think they're probably gonna go in a different direction, honestly, because of the way politics are. But as far as the, the way the story's set up, Spider-Man is is supposed to be kind of like the heir to Iron Man. But it's important to remember when we're talking about the MCU, the MCU really started with Iron Man. Okay, the MCU really started with Iron Man. In the Marvel comics, you know, the, the Silver Age really, really in lots of ways did start. You know, it, it started with the Fantastic Four, but to me, Spider-Man is still the iconic thing of, of the MU, the Marvel Universe, the comics and all that came afterwards. It's all about Spider-Man. He's, he's the big character. So I think that goes to your point, Dave, that these are sort of like, for lack of a better term, Elseworld stories. We're seeing that now with the, the, the Spider-Verse and all that kind of stuff that... This is a different version of Spidey. This is a Spidey that was mentored by Iron Man because he is the MCU Spider-Man, right? So he was mentored by, by Tony Stark, whereas the classic Spider-Man was really just his own thing. You know, he, he, didn't, he wasn't really mentored by anybody. I mean, he just was this kid that got bitten by a spider that's a super genius and started fighting crime because somebody killed his uncle. With great power comes great responsibility. So I, I do I do agree in that sense that these are these elseworld elseworld versions, and sometimes I feel like people like want everything that they like about Spider Man in this one one new version. It's like you can't do that. You kind of have to do something different every time you reinvent the character. But that doesn't mean we can't go back. And this is a perfect example of that because if the rumors are true, we will go back and see some of these other versions. Well, and, and just to be clear, uh, there was a story arc where uh, Spider-Man, or Peter, Peter Parker anyway, actually interned um, at you know Stark Industries or Stark Enterprises, whatever they were calling it at the time. And Iron oh, Man, it, Tony Stark, yeah, he actually did mentor him. That's where the whole Iron Spider there, There's tons of references from. to Stark Enterprises and Spider-Man as Amazing Friends. They talk yeah. about that all the time. There's all these yeah, Easter so, eggs in Spider-Man is amazing friends. But what I'm saying is the, 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 the sort of classic version that people have in their heads of Spider-Man is he was this kid that's bitten by a spider and he came up with all these cool gadgets on his own and started fighting crime. You know, that's the, and, and even the MCU version has that because right. the Tom Holland version was already out there doing this stuff. And then Tony found him, you know what I mean? So, right. and people forget that. But what I'm saying is, Again, these are different versions of the character, and you do have yeah, to yeah. just constantly like going back to the original origin and going down that path, especially when these versions are so close to each other, it gets old. So you got to do something a little bit fresh with the character 
And that doesn't mean we can't go back and look at the other versions or we can't bring back a version that's closer uh, to the comic books, you know? Right. And uh, Asia says there is a version where Uncle Ben is just rice. <laughs> he's rice. And I, and I was going to say, I was going to say. He's rice? Asia, was, well, Asia, Asia actually posted, I think it was on, I think it was on Facebook. And I think Asia, the one that posted this, maybe it was someone else who posted it or shared it, but it was a meme. And it was like a Spider-Man meme. And, and it was these, it was a. Uh, a person in a chat talking to someone else and they went, wow, what Spider-Man character is showing, isn't going to show up in Spider-Man three. And the response to that was uncle Ben. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Or is it coming back for Spider-Man three? I think that was the point. Cause a lot of these characters died in the movie and they're going to be back, but uncle Ben right. won't be. So it's kind of funny. Yep. That is kind of funny. So anyhow, the only point I was making, Eric, is, you know, um, what I was trying to say is uh, making me watch Marissa Tomei is not going to offend any of my nerd sensibilities. So I, I'm perfectly okay with that. Because like I said, to me, this is an Elseworlds take on Spider-Man anyway. So, you know, he's got the hot Aunt May. Okay, sure. That's good. You know, it's Marissa Tomei. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, so let's see. We got a couple more comments. I'm trying to organize them a little bit here in my head, at least. Um, Asia mentions that she says, I like the Venom movies too, especially the comments he makes in his head. They are hilarious. I have not seen the Venom movies. And again, I think that's also like, uh, that's kind of like the Andrew Garfield effect too, where it's like Spider-Man 3 uh, offended me in so many ways. <laughs> I haven't been ready for Venom, and I have I wasn't ready initially for a new Spider-Man. Even uh, Spider-Man Three is just such a disaster in my mind. Uh, Asia also says Endgame was a was mega fan service at its best. Um, there there was the scene I think of you know at uh, at Tony Stark's funeral. Uh, there was definitely mega fan service in that scene. There's no doubt about it. And I did actually appreciate it because I, it's funny. There's a lot of people that are very upset about Iron Man dying. And I felt like that was absolutely the way to end that phase of the MCU, because this is the guy who started it and to bookend it that way. That's the one thing. Cause I don't like Endgame all that much. I'll be honest, but that's the one thing that actually was emotional for me in that movie was like seeing Iron Man is the one who makes the sacrifice. Iron Man's the one who saves the universe and Iron Man is the one who dies in the process. And uh, it touched me. I thought it was, it was a good bookend and let's face it. Roddy Downey Jr. Was probably getting too expensive <laughs> to keep going at that point. So <laughs> they had to do something, right? They had to do something. Um, and then she also said, uh, sadly, Sang-Chi, I will wait. Uh, what if um, she has a question mark says, I like Eternals. Maybe if it's on Disney plus and there is no more Marvel only zoo, <laughs> which interestingly enough, that was actually something I wanted to bring up. Uh, but we're, we're way over time. We're over two hours. This is one of our longest shows in a long time. 
for folks that don't know, our, our actual goal is to get, you know, basically get within an hour, maybe an hour and a half. We wanted to make these episodes shorter, but we don't do two episodes right now. So I guess maybe a longer episode makes a little bit more sense since we're not doing the Sunday episodes anymore. Um, but I actually wanted to bring that up. I don't know, um, since she brought it up and we are talking about a Sony movie and brought up a Ghostbusters reference. Uh, t- uh, Dave, did you see that Sony actually did screen um, uh, the uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife? Did you hear about that? Yeah, that was at Cine- CinemaCon, wasn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, I, yeah, I, 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 I had the article all ready to go. Um, let's see here. In, in case we had time, and since we're we're going over anyway, I'm just gonna I'll just show it real quick. So this is another deadline article, and it says Sony surprises at CinemaCon with Ghostbusters Afterlife screening, and this was dated August 23rd. And I thought this was really interesting. So there are people months in advance of when the movie is supposed to be coming out who have seen the film. Have you have you had any your feelers out there, Dave? Have you heard of anybody that actually got to see this? Any reviews? Uh, I know of some people who've already seen it, but it's not like I can call them on the phone. But yeah, what's up? <laughs> not, I mean, like, get, have you seen any reviews on YouTube or any articles where someone reviewed this movie? Because no. people have seen it. No, I don't think I've seen. There's probably something out there, but no, I haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, I'm really curious. And actually, we have another uh, YouTuber out here. Been a long time, PJ. PJ's in the house. Orville Nation is in the house. He says, hey, my two favorite YouTubers. Hey, Orville Nation, PJ, you're my favorite YouTuber. No doubt about it. 100%. Um, I consider myself a multi-streamer anyway. (laughs) We do a (laughs) multi-stream. In fact, most of our comments actually end up coming from Facebook more than anything else. So I'm a multi-streamer, but you're my favorite YouTuber, PJ, easily, 100%, and our our biggest supporter on YouTube. And yes, it's good to see you as well, PJ. Uh, Everybody, please uh, check out Orville Nation. Um, They do a lot, obviously, great Orville coverage. They are the place to go for Orville coverage, let's just say that. But they do other stuff, too. Like he did uh, Dark Matters. He's done a lot of stuff with that. I think they're getting into Stargate. Uh, I think, uh, PJ, you've been getting into a lot more Stargate recently. So they do a lot of other sci-fi stuff on Orville Nation, a lot of good stuff. And uh, we've collaborated with PJ. PJ has been on our show. We've been on PJ's show. Hopefully we'll have some more collaboration in the future. Great stuff. I can not say too many uh, enough or enough good things about PJ and Orville Nation. We're glad to see you in the house tonight. It's, it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, you know, <laughs> he says, I, he says, I, he says, I knew you were going to say something like being a multi-streamer laugh out loud. See, PJ knows me so well. <laughs> I, uh, I was, when I was on the Oroville nation, I actually sketched, I did sketch cards, actually live sketch card drawing while I was on there. And, uh, you know, if you're doing Stargate PJ, I'd love to take a crack at drawing Anubis during That's one of your awesome. Stargate shows. That would like be a awesome. really nice kick-ass illustration of a new i love anubis anubis is such a great character from the original stargate movie i love that original stargate movie just in general that the score the score is absolutely incredible such a great movie i I think that's another really interesting fan debate um when it comes to because you have so many fans of the stargate uh tv shows and a lot of them have you know there's three of them 
And so, you know, I think SG one is the most popular, uh, but actually there's four of them. There was a cartoon too. I always forget the cartoon, but it's kind of interesting because I do think there's a divide in the fandom about the movie, you know, versus the TV shows. And I'd love to discuss that sometime with you, PJ. I, I think that would be kind of interesting to talk about the movie people versus the TV people. And it, it goes to the creatives too. Cause I know, uh, uh, PJ talks to the creatives. He's talked to he, you know, he has some of the producers on his show, you know, and I, I think that divide is very interesting because they're the people. There are these people that created Stargate, and that's the movie. They had nothing to do with the show, you know what I mean? And so it's really interesting to me, not even as just as a fan, but from a production level, I think that's an interesting debate, you know, because somebody else created this, but then you could argue somebody else was much more successful with it. That's the argument that I would make. You know what I mean? It's like, I love the movie. That's how I got into Stargate. But, and I didn't get into the series until much later in reruns. I didn't, I didn't watch it when it was on its original networks and I got into it much later. And it's, it's a really good show in my opinion, really fun show, but there is that divide. You know, that these are two diff completely different creative teams. One that created the movie, another one that cre created the series, you know, totally different. And uh, uh, PJ says, yeah, that's interesting, Eric. I appreciate that. <laughs> I feel like we have the beginnings of and he, uh, really and he interesting... already wants to book you. He's already got you there. He says, All right. well, you bet Dave. Yeah, I think that would be fun. I, I um, you know, I love the design, like the, the actual design work in the original Stargate movie by Patrick Totopoulos is absolutely incredible. Patrick Atopsis uh, actually uh, works a lot with Zack Snyder. He did a lot of the design work actually for Batman v Superman. And I think he might have done a lot of the stuff for Justice League too. That guy is incredible. Uh, but man, his design work for Stargate is absolutely stellar. Um, there's so much great stuff in that first Stargate movie. I mean, the story is fun. And they use um, it. And they use it in the series. They don't yeah. throw that stuff away. So it's clear yeah. that the series, you know, I mean, obviously the series built upon the movie but like uh, there's there's a neat comment here from pj uh, sort of breaking news because i know he's he's been on this movement uh to get new stargate and orville nation says new stargate new stargate will be canon confirmed by brad wright that goes back to what i was just saying uh pj though which canon right because how can you argue can you are what's the argument is the argument that the tv show is more canon than the movie when the movie was first I think that's a great fan debate. I'm, I'm just saying, I think that's a great fan debate because I know people are really passionate about their Stargate. You know what I mean? And and I just think that's interesting because you say it's canon. Well, which canon? Because there's two different canons for Stargate. No, yeah. And I, um, all I was just trying to say, because I, I missed a lot of the Stargate show when it was on cable because at the time I didn't have access to cable. I, I spent a lot of years actually without cable which is why I kind of missed the whole Stargate thing. Um, but uh, I really love the first movie. There's so much about the first movie I love. And then um, I actually started reading, but I never finished it. Actually, the novel, the novelization that was intended to be actually a sequel to the original Stargate movie. Um, for years, I had actually a statue of Anubis actually in the studio. I currently <laughs> don't have it anymore, but... For years and years and years, because I just love the. I've always had a fascination with Egyptian stuff. I've been talking about Moon Knight on this show. How excited I am about Moon Knight! I just love Egyptian stuff. I, I don't know what it is about Egyptian stuff, but holy cow, I love that stuff. And and uh, I have a. I think I've showed on the show. Didn't I show on the show, Eric? My 
uh, Lynn Workman actually sent me a whole set of uh, Stargate action figures. <laughs> At least Stargate action figures. I remember you showed us some stuff that Lynn had sent you, but I don't I don't remember if you if you showed Stargate figures. I can't remember if that was part of the pack. I remember you showed us a bunch of stuff that Lynn had given you. And I can't remember if the if, if the Stargate figures were in that package. Maybe I just don't remember. But but I remember you doing, you know, doing like an unboxing. Oh yeah. The stuff that Lynn had given you. So yeah. Hey, uh, P PJ has has a little question that uh, you can ponder. You don't necessarily have to answer on the air because this is interesting. So he says, Dave, would you consider tackling a new dark matter comic if you could work hand in hand with its creator, Joe Malozzi? And I'm sorry if I'm butchering his name. I should know it by now. I'm. I have even. I've lurked on a couple of PJ's uh, dark matter um, uh, streams and stuff like that, and I know Joe's on it. Uh, Malozzi is the best I can pronounce it, uh, but uh, interesting idea there. So, <laughs> hmm. Well, yeah, that's not something I can answer on the air, but that's a that's an intriguing <laughs> offer, PJ. I'll, I'll I'll agree with that. Um, and then uh, a uh, Asia had a comment. She said, uh, "I like regarding Stargate. I like both the shows and the movie. The movie has some of my favorite actors." The show has freaking MacGyver in it, so they both win. Well, there you go. <laughs> and at the end of the day, isn't that the kind of fan response you want? Like, can't we all just get along? You know. <laughs> I say no. Well, a, the movie's superior I, to the to the TV series. I say no. We cannot get along. The movie is superior because it's original. That's my argument. <laughs> That's my argument. That's my controversy of the day. <laughs> Well, I, I'll just say I haven't seen enough of the show to, to pass a broad judgment. And, and to be honest, with you, what I saw of it, I liked. I just never got the chance to actually get too heavily invested in it. But going, you know, back, I, going I, back to a comment from Hollywood, because this is perfect. It's like the Picardinator versus Skeletor. That's what we're talking about. That's how epic we're talking about a confrontation between uh, the SG-1 and the original movie, you know? So that's what we're talking about. It's that level. I, I, feel, like, <laughs> I feel like Hollywood is going to keep bringing up this Picardinator until we have a Picardinator shirt to go with the Skeletor shirt. <laughs> I think you, at this point you have to design the Picardinator. What, what does the Picardinator look like? That That's kind of a neat idea. That's kind of I've a neat trying, idea, actually. I, I've been it's trying to figure out what he... I've been trying to figure out what he would say because obviously you have to take your resistance is futile and somehow smash it with a classic Terminator line. <laughs> you know yeah. what? To be really to be really morbid and and in tune actually with the Picard show, you could say uh, resistance to death is futile. That's just dark, though. That's not even fun. That's just <laughs> dark and twisted and messed up. I think I think we have to think about it, and who knows? Yeah, maybe, I maybe we'll get some it. ideas from the, the rogues gallery as time it's, goes on. It's, but I it's like this idea. If you want to live, and I, don't I like know. The, I like the Picardinator. <laughs> I, I do uh, like Hollywood I, has one. Make it so. I'll be back. <laughs> that, that's pretty good. I like that. That's pretty good. I like that. That's pretty so, good. I'll be back. Oh, here uh, you go. I like this one too. Asia says, "Come with me if you want to assimilate." I feel like that has weird connotations, but that's also good. No, it um, makes sense to me. The Picardinator is obviously a kind of Borg, so I mean, he's a cyborg, right? Yeah. right? So, 
that makes right. sense to me. I like it. I like I like them both. I like make it. I like make it so. Uh, I'll be back from Hollywood, and I I, I like what Asia uh, Asia said. It's come with me if you want to assimilate. <laughs> well, the thing I, I like so far too is uh, what you said earlier. You cannot demonetize what was not monetized. I, really <laughs> I like that, that too. I do like that. that I actually kind of like that for the Ficardinator. You cannot demonetize <laughs> what has not been monetized. Yeah, that kind of says a lot for the show. It really does. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it really does. It really does. It should be our slogan. <laughs> You cannot demonetize what was not monetized. And I, I like this too. Uh, Jane says Picardator would have to have leftover parts from the Borg. Yeah, yeah. Like like, yeah. like leftovers. I like that idea because that's kind of what Picard is. It's like leftovers. And Orville, yeah. Orville Nation had a, a sort of, a, I think, more of a fan question. He says, so guys, does Q now make Jean-Luc human again? So, of course, this is in reference to Picard, um, right? Um I am aware doesn't, of what's that. Doesn't that just mean we're redoing tapestry again, though? I feel like that circles back to what I said before when I watched the trailer. Well, I don't, I don't feel like they have any good original ideas. So circling back is probably the best thing they can do at this point. Um, you know, I, I think Picard's a train wreck, and so the, the 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 short answer for me, PJ, is I don't care what Q does to Picard. <laughs> you know what I mean? would be the short answer um but i would say this they they are so bankrupt they are so intellectually bankrupt after all that effort and all that justification they put into making picard an android i could see those idiots just having q make him human again because they are so intellectually bankrupt i could see those idiots doing that after all that effort the entire season basically built up to that for whatever reason, I still don't know why Picard has to be a robot. I still don't understand that. Um, but I don't understand any of that show. But the the short answer for me, PJ, to that question is I don't care. The long answer would be I could see the writers being that morally ban or intellectually bankrupt to do that. Do, do you can you weigh in on that, Dave? On on whether you think uh, Q is going to make Jean Luc human again in season two of Picard? Well, all I'm gonna say is. I'm not going to watch it. So. <laughs> Again, the short answer. What's the long answer? If you were in the writer's room, because we we do our little experiment. We did it with PJ one time. We do the rogues writer's room. So we're going to try to make season two of Picard better. We know we have to have Q. How, how what would you do? What would you have Q do? Would you have him make him human again? What would you, what would you do with Q? What's even the point of having Q? You have to have him. Well, the studio says we got him. So. If if I was doing a Picard show that involved Q, remember it's season two we, of Picard. You still got to deal with yeah, all the I know. bullshit from the yeah, first yeah, season. Yeah. So I know flowers in space. Got it. Um, so we've got season two of Picard. Um, let's see what what things are still broken at the end of Picard. The Federation <laughs> oh is still broken. God. That's a whole show, man. That, that's not even that's not that's not even a whole show. That's like we would have to take weeks <laughs> to go into this deep dive of yeah. what's broken in Picard, you know? Weeks well, would I take mean, this. I, I would you know, to be honest with you, I would have I don't know. I would be honest with you, I don't know. I don't I, I mean to me it doesn't make more flowers in space. That's what PJ says. We gotta have flowers in space. in space, like you said. More we gotta have that. 
I mean, I would. <laughs> oh, here we go. I don't know. Did you see Hollywood's comment? Picard of the Living Dead. <laughs> oh my gosh. Go. <laughs> see, Hollywood Jackson can even write better than these guys. See, I would watch yeah. that. Picard of the Living Dead. That sounds that sounds a lot more fun than season two of Picard. Picard of the Living Dead. <laughs> I mean, to me, I mean, I I I would I guess well it's I would just want them to try. I mean, I, I would use Q in order to jettison some of the unnecessary baggage from season one and put the <laughs> Federation. You, just, you snap season one away. <laughs> well, yeah, you could. But, but, but the problem, the problem is this, we still have discovery off in the future and everything's still broken. Oh, you know, okay, I here have, you go. You, I have, you have, I have a fix for discovery. And by the way, this is not a completely original thought. I think it was actually um, Anti-Trekker that kind of put me on this path. And uh, Orville Nation is familiar with Anti-Trekker. So maybe you can even uh, bring this stuff up on one of your shows, PJ. I have I have a solution. And it goes all the way back to Enterprise. Because Enterprise has some really messed up stuff in it. In fact, I feel like a lot of the fans bailed at Enterprise. Obviously, they did. It kind of killed the franchise for a while. It's called the Theory of the Three Timelines. Have you ever heard this, Dave? So yeah, we've timelines. talked about it. Okay. Yeah, we've talked so, about it before. So the three the three timelines for folks that maybe aren't, aren't aware of this, and, and I think Anti-Trekker was the first time I saw this kind of articulated, but I'm taking it also with in Discovery in mind. I think he was trying to address the problems with Enterprise. So the idea of the three timelines is basically like in the, the Star Trek canon of today, we have two timelines, the standard timeline, the, the original timeline, and the Kelvin timeline. That's the JJ-verse. Two different timelines, and they they split at the moment. Basically, that you know, um, basically at the moment that Kirk's father is killed. That's where that timeline splits, because that's the that's the event you know that basically changes things. Because in the original timeline, Kirk's father did not die before Kirk, before Kirk was born. So that's where the timeline splits. That's the Kelvin timeline. From that point on, two different timelines. One doesn't cancel out the other. They're just two different things. The idea of the three timelines basically goes back to uh, first contact. So basically what you're doing, you're just saying, because the Borg, remember, they went back in time to basically uh, destroy Earth before it was even part of the Federation and basically wipe out the threat before it even happened. So the idea there is that the Borg did affect the timeline. And therefore, everything that comes after insurrection that leads up to Enterprise, which also theoretically leads up to Discovery... That is a different timeline. That's the way I would fix it. And I think that's a, a cool fan debate. You know, it's like, that's how I would fix it. That's why Discovery is all effed up. You know, it's like, because that's why the uniforms, the technology, everything. It's because uh, they knew about the Borg threat, which was established in Enterprise. Uh, Cochran did uh, tell people, in fact, Archer's aware of the Borg. He has some idea of them, even though it's not 100% accepted. Uh, the idea is, yeah, they did know about the Borg. So... Basically, the the technology uh, progressed faster in the this this uh, post first contact timeline that leads up to Enterprise. Technology progressed faster. That fixes the problem of why do they have phasers and photon torpedoes when they were supposed to have nuclear weapons, you know? And fix it. It fixes it. So there there's my fix. <laughs> well, there there you go. I just 
I, I honestly just, I, I don't know how you fix. I mean, like I said, after Picard, I can't watch Next Gen anymore. I, just, I can't. It just yeah. ruined it. Yeah. It looks like Asia's checking yeah, out. We have been I, going for I a while. I think you're all going past my bedtime, and, and we're doing the same thing. This is a long show. We haven't done a show this long, but it was nice to yeah. have some interaction. It's nice to see PJ uh, show up. Thanks, PJ, for coming in and having some comments. Appreciate that. One last comment. What one last comment for AJ about yeah. uh, Asia about uh, the 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 what we're talking about it says listen justice for the Klingons they looks like Chet from Weird Science and the Cardassian <laughs> okay <laughs> they look like Chet from Weird Science and the Cardassians had a baby <laughs> can we please fix the Klingons I am not a fan of the Klingorks that one is hard to explain uh, I'm not a fan of the Klingorks at all. So <laughs> yeah. And uh, PJ says, Oh my God, me too, Dave can't watch TNG. And by the way, I was one person that was like, Oh, come on guys. I remember the first person that said that to me was like, come on guys. Don't let, you know, Picard ruin TNG. TNG is such an awesome thing. I barely watch TNG now. And I still it, watch it, original it, series. It, it took a while. It took a while, but now I just kind of, it's kind of tainted for me. I, I'll watch an episode here and there, but it's taint. I, I, I watch TOS, like you mentioned, and Deep Space Nine. I've been watching a lot of Deep Space Nine lately. That doesn't seem totally ruined to me yet. So, <laughs> but, the, yeah. but they'll get there. They'll get there. They'll ruin Deep Space Nine too. They'll, they'll do that. <laughs> well, um, so sad as pj says yeah so i i agree and then and, and then pj we um well Asia we says to... that night my darlings laugh out loud watch the orville instead there you go there we go we gave the message of orville nation watch the orville instead watch the orville instead there we go take all I, your team away and and go read red skirts if you haven't exactly like there you go you like check out red skirts check out red um skirts. So I was just gonna say, uh, yeah, PJ, we we need to talk because I I would I would really enjoy doing that. I would enjoy um, actually drawing Anubis like during a Stargate themed show. I think that would be a lot of fun, um, and it it'd be a fun it'd be a fun test for myself too because I, I can kind of see in my head what I want to do, and it'd be ambitious. So it'd be interesting to see if I could pull it off in a confined time. Uh, or at least a more reasonable amount of time. <laughs> anyway. He says DM him. DM him, Dave. All right, cool, cool. Let's do that. Let's do that. That'll be fun. Um, cool. All right. Um, well, I know it's kind of late. we got a really long show. Uh, what do you think, Eric? Do you think we should uh, wrap things up here? Yeah, we, we, we hit all the stuff in the description, so we're, we're good all right, cool. to wrap. Cool. All right. Well, I want to thank all of you for uh, hopefully watching or uh, maybe listening to this et episode of the Retro Rogues Live. Again, my name is Dave Beatty, and I've been one of your hosts. If you're curious to check out what occupies a lot of my time these days, uh, I'd like to encourage you to please check out my t-shirt company. That's Kirby Tees. Uh, that's www. <laughs> it's so funny. Every time I do, I keep thinking of the home movies bit. But anyhow, it's uh, K-I-R-B-Y-T-S.com, K-I-R-B-Y-T-S.com. Got a lot of fun things over there. Um, we've got, of course, uh, as I've been promoting, uh, we have the Brains or Magic shirt by Sarah Aerosmith. Uh, we also have the Skeletor shirt, which is uh, a collaboration to myself and the Janimal. 
We also have some fun Retro Rogues Live t-shirts as well. We'd like to encourage you to uh, possibly consider purchasing a Retro Rogues Live t-shirt and supporting what we're doing here on the show. We greatly appreciate your support. I want to uh, thank, as always, my great co-host, Mr. Eric Alexander, for being on here. And as always, providing his unique perspective and opinions on all the fun topics that we like to talk about here on the show. Eric, please tell the folks, hopefully watching or listening at home, where they can learn more about you on the interwebs. I am most active on Twitter. You can find me there at BaseGod14. That's at B-A-S-S-G-O-D-1-4. My DMs are wide open, so you always I'm always open to show suggestions. If you have uh, heard some rumors or you, you, you saw a, a cool article about something involving pop culture, whether it's legacy, whether it's something new, we do always cover that kind of stuff when we get to our pop culture news. So send me any information my way. Uh, also, if you do any comments, um, that's the official YouTube, that's the official Twitch, obviously the Twitter. So you do any comments, more likely than not, I'm going to be the one that responds to you. So uh, appreciate the Rogues Gallery tonight. Uh, we saw some, uh, some, some faces around here that we haven't seen in a while and some that have been very, very consistent. And we appreciate your support because you indeed make the show a lot more fun with your comments. We really appreciate it. So uh, we've got... Uh, Hollywood Jackson, he says, uh, good show, guys. Uh, we really appreciate that, Hollywood. We appreciate all your, your very constant support of the show. Uh, really appreciate that. Uh, Jane, also uh, a big supporter. Fun show, guys. We really appreciate that. And, of course, our old friend PJ. He says, thanks, thanks guys. And uh, thank you, Orville Nation. And we'll go ahead and leave you with the last word. 